Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bare their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth. And they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. He's ready to rock and roll. I love his attitude. I love the attitude of all the rookies that I heard speak this weekend. I love hearing what the coordinators have to say, and we're going to hear a sampling of all of that as this show goes on. Dan, did you get an opportunity to listen to any of that stuff? Not much of the sound bites. I was busy. Uh, I had worked an overtime shift, and then you know I had to clean house and mow the lawn, and you know just routine stuff. And before you know it, it's time to go right back to work, which had me a little bit downtrodden. So. The little bit of free time I had last night, I watched, uh, as I sent you a clip, some old NFL films footage. Oh, come on. That's not all, that's not all you did. Oops. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, like tonight, before we went on, I was listening to the music from NFL films, <laughs> you know, to just get myself in the mindset here to get back and ready to go and talk football. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that, Dan. Uh, I'm the same way. Turn on some NFL music from the glory years, uh, the Power and the Glory CD, which I, I think I have two or three copies of, uh, and I'm psyched up. I'm ready to do anything. But I, I was sort of with you. This weekend, I was feeling glum, uh, uh, tired, and it's allergy season, man. It knocks me on my ass. Even though I take my medication, I just feel like doing shit. And finally, this morning, I woke up and said, it's show day today. I'm going to be psyched and ready to go with Dan and later Johnny Santucci will join us. And Johnny is saying in the in the uh, on the screen here that he, too, was feeling glum and, and, and down. This fucking allergy season stuff, it, it's a ass kicker, man. Are you suffering from allergies, Dan? I, you know, I never did before, but uh, since I developed, again, I'd wash my hands too much during the pandemic because they said, oh, you got to wash your hands. You got to wash your hands because of COVID. And I ended up giving myself eczema. Oh. So now I have to take uh, some sort of allergy pill. I guess it's uh, like Zyrtec or something, but it's a prescription. Yeah. 
Okay. So you get a like, high power. like if I go to wash my hands and the water's too warm, it will like start to give me the eczema. I remember you sending me some pictures of that. You're yeah, like, it's weird. Like I can feel it triggering it though. And you gotta take that pill to mitigate that. So I never had that until like I said, they said it's from washing your hands too much or using too much Perel. Yeah. Like it, who knew that using too much hand sanitizer could fuck you up? I mean well, you also get it from jerking off too much, Dan. Oh, <laughs> guilty as charged. Uh, uh, so we're going to talk about what happened at Hallis Hall this weekend, a very encouraging weekend, I thought. And uh, we'll talk about the Tariq Cohen letter. I want uh, to ch- in on that. Um, oh, can I say one thing before we get started on the main sure, show? Sure, sure. From watching the old NFL films, once again, I did find myself inspired thinking about this Bears team. Mm-hmm. It, it just bear with me. It, it, you'll remember more so than most of the people listening. Maybe Tooch would. Those Rams teams of the late 70s and the middle 70s were in the title game seemingly every year yep. and seemingly had to go to Minnesota in the cold, and they always got their ass kicked. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere, the team from 79, they lose their quarterback. They Hayden gets hurt, and they have to put in a rookie no one's ever heard of or a young Vince Ferragamo. Mm-hmm. And they go nine and seven, no big deal, but they make it all the way to the Super Bowl and they, they lose by a pubic hair against Pittsburgh in Super Bowl 14. And it's just like, you never know. The team that, that was stacked on paper couldn't get it done. And then the team that was supposed to suck goes to the Super Bowl. The irony of ironies with those Rams teams. I mean, they had, you know, the fearsome foursome and they never could get it done. And they go to the Super Bowl when the team's kind of on the downside. Mm hmm. Uh, with all, without all their big name stars, and maybe that's the Bears, man. Maybe we lost, you know, the Khalil Max and the Akeem Hickses and players like that. We thought that we're going to get us where we wanted to go, and the Allen Robinsons, uh, and then and and then now it's a team that is not supposed to do shit, and then and then they surprise us. Mm-hmm. Why can't that be us? I I refused to concede that that I that's got to be. There's an opportunity. I, I firmly believe it because once more, we have better coaching. I I'm, I'm, I'm really think Fields is going to take a step. We're going to run the ball well. We're going to have better coaching. And the defense probably is going to be better, at least in the secondary. Definitely in the secondary. Uh, these two second-round picks, both of those guys are first-round caliber, and I think they're really going to dramatically improve the secondary. The problem is – is some of the holdovers that the team couldn't get rid of, hasn't hasn't still gotten rid of. Eddie Jackson still worries me. He worries me to to heaven to to hell high heaven or whatever. Isn't it funny? As soon as you started saying that sentence, <laughs> the first thing that popped in my head was Eddie Jackson. Yeah, exactly. I bet you ninety percent of the fans feel that way. You know, the fact that he doesn't have the decency to call the draft picks, his the fellow safety, he probably will be starting along with Jaquan, uh, uh, no, I'm drawing a blank, isn't it? Uh, Brisker, Jaquan Brisker, and Kyler Gordon, the, the cornerback who's probably going to start. The fact that he doesn't even call them to congratulate them, to say, welcome to the team, I can't wait to work with you. We're going to comprise the best secondary in the NFL. That He doesn't call t- those guys he knows to they're say better that? than he is already. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I think he's still crying in his soup that we let go of Khalil Mack and that we let go of some other veterans. This smacks 
of what happened when Lovey Smith was fired and you had some of the old veterans on defense, especially after Erlacher was let go, that they were they were pissed off at the organization. They were pissed off the team. They were pissed off that they hired an offensive uh, nerd, Mark Tressman, to head the team. And they did nothing to help the team internally. They did the nothing one guy, to be The leaders. one guy that I think we should single out for not tanking uh, to your point is, is so obviously true mm-hmm. but if you recall his last game as a bear he tears his peck on the sideline in san francisco or it was the opening night of the 49ers new stadium which i guess is technically in santa clara mm-hmm. california but week two of 14 and when charles tillman was told that he was done and they were showing him on the sidelines he was crying mm-hmm. yeah i mean you don't fucking cry if you don't have your heart into something, if there's not passion there. I'm glad that you pointed that out because that guy, he's one of my all-time favorite Bears because he cared a hell of a lot. He cared about his own career. He cared about the Chicago Bears organization. He cared about the fans. He he cared about his fellow human beings. I mean, that Charles Tillman is a special guy in comparison to some of these other guys that really kicked me in the balls and let me down. And I'll never be ashamed of being a Chicago Bears fan, but those guys really were pushing it uh, for me to behave in such a way uh, that uh, was disgraceful, totally disgraceful. I think you're calling out Lance Briggs, I think. <laughs> well, you remember in 13 specifically, yes. that was the, I'm fairly certain that was the restaurant year. Yes. Uh, when, and then he got he got injured, which is you know no one's like downgrade or saying denigrating and saying that he wasn't hurt, but at the end of the year they at that time you could bring back like one person or something from IR, uh, where it's since COVID you know there you could do that with anybody, but back then you had like one person you could designate, mm-hmm. and it was Briggs, and they activated him for that Philly game where he we went out there and could have clinched a. A playoff spot and lost like 51 to seven. You remember that? You sure do. On a Sunday night game with mm-hmm. Nick Foles. Yep. And, uh, but what happened when, when Briggs came back? Not that I'm like super in shape, but Lance was really out of football shape. He, like he hadn't even been working out during the time he was gone. You yep. know, he looked, you know, stockier than normal, maybe a po- little bit of a pot belly, a half a step slower. Yeah. I mean, you know, Lance, uh, it's disappointing because in so many ways I like Lance, but there's just certain, too. there's certain things that he's done and said that I just don't like about that. And, um, and, and conversely, conversely, Walter, of course, we're always going to put Walter up, even if he were, even if he hadn't died. But I think about the, the old games I've seen and like, you know, they had the strike in 82, mm-hmm. you know, so there ends up only being nine games in 82, but the first game they come back, which I guess would have been like, you know, week 12, but in, in reality, it was only the third game. Mm-hmm. And so you have that time off from September to like November. And what are you doing? And so the first game back, Walter gets the typical amount of Walter carries and they're interviewing him after the game. Johnny Morris is and they're like, are you tired? He's like, no. He's like, I was working out every day during the strike and I feel better now than I did coming into the season because that's all I did was work out. Mm-hmm. Like how many other players said that yeah or did that right i'm with you man it's um did i lose you no i'm here can you hear me testing one two can you hear me i'm here i'm here now for some reason i lost you yeah there's been a little did you hear what i was saying about walter i I heard every word 
every word. But what do you what do you think about that? That's true. He was just like I, I worked out every day, and he's like, I mean, every day. Yeah, that's the kind of guy that you want on your team, even if the results may not be the the Hall of Fame career. But you want guys who, as the Bears' new coaching staff says, love to play the game, love to to be tough, love to be in shape, love every aspect of being a professional football player, Walter Payton and the greats like uh, Michael Jordan, they, uh, uh, they epitomized that. And they were given God given skills that they did not let go to waste. Like we've seen so many other players in professional, professional sports do that, who have the, the, the genetics to be great, but loafed, but didn't care, but had so many other interests that it, it impaired their preparation for games, that they didn't listen to their coaching staff, that they, for whatever reason, really ruined what could have been great careers. And there are plenty of Chicago Bears that we can name that are like that. And it bothers the fuck out of me. Me, a chubby little kid who would have loved to have been able to line up at a fullback position and knock the shit out of, an, uh, of a linebacker so that my running back could have a hole to run but just didn't have the, the the physical talent and so if you uh, if you look at briggs alone briggs alone is borderline like kind of close to the hall but probably won't get there but if he has like let's say two good years with tressman there instead of two shitty years at the end maybe he's in the hall mm-hmm. maybe that's the difference to puts him over if they're like dude erlacher's gone and briggs is still just fucking killing it mm-hmm. like this guy's special Yep. But the last two years, it just seems like he was just getting a check. Right. Cliff has a question. Uh, what do you guys think of Poe's obvious plans to take the best player available and trade down to get more picks? It's the opposite of pace. I'm 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 with Poe's on this. Weeks before the draft, I was saying, I hope the Bears don't trade any of those top three picks to accumulate more picks. Try to do it some other way because picking the top three of the 71 players on your board is a great way to start the rebuild as opposed to trading pick number 71 or pick number 40, whatever it was, to acquire fifth rounders and sixth rounders when those guys clearly are not going to be the better guys on your board. Once you get into the fifth, sixth round and seventh round, it's really hard to distinguish you know, who is better from, you know, pick 60 to pick 150, you know, they all sort of are so close together. So I'm, I'm really happy. If I could add to that, please do over the years, when we have a good player from like the fourth round, fifth round, sixth round that hits, they know we normally let them walk anyway. (laughs) Uh, Nick Kwiatkowski, Belial Nichols, Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, guys that like were lower round picks that, obviously played better that they exceeded expectations and we let them go. Mm -hmm. I think more than anything, that's exemplifies the mismanagement of the team is because everyone always says you got to build with the draft. Mm -hmm. You have to build through the draft. Well, at the very least, those guys, if they're not starting should be your core reserves. Yeah. And they're gone. Arguably some of those guys were let go, I think for good reasons, you know, the choice was between um, Trevathan and Nick Kwiatkowski. That proved to be a bad decision. It, it did, but Kwiatkowski had, just didn't have the speed to go sideline to sideline. And he started to play better because he started to learn the game better, and so he played quicker. But 
nonetheless, you know, you see what he's done with the Raiders. You know, he's been injury prone. He hasn't had many good games in a row. You know, he's he, he, his value was overestimated, I think, by a lot of us fans. Um, and Bilal Nichols was let go by this present regime probably because they didn't think he could play the, the a true three-tech or that the players that, uh, like Ogunjobi, who unfortunately that didn't work out, but uh, his uh, Ogunjobi's replacement, uh, Jones, could probably play it better than Bilal Nichols along with Mario. Has Ogunjobi got a deal? No, he's still out there. He's, he's still, still out, out there. there. Why don't we just give him like a one-year deal? Well, it was interesting that uh, Poles was asked that, you know, is the door closed? And he kind of avoided the, the question. He didn't say yes or no. So maybe maybe he's still available. The, 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 the issue, though, is that after you offer a guy a contract that's what was $70, $80 million with 50 of it guaranteed, you know, to go back and offer him a one-year deal – I don't think that they'd be real happy about that. You know, the, that that's the issue, you know, that, that I've heard from uh, some reporters on, on their shows uh, saying, you know, it's unlikely that'll happen because there could be bad feelings on the part of Ogunjobi's agent and Ogunjobi himself to uh, Ryan Poles. And Ryan Poles said that that was the most difficult uh, discussion, conversation that he has had in his career when he got into the backseat of the car to talk to Ogunjobi and to tell him, I got to take this deal off the table. You didn't pass the physical. I'm sorry. And, and Ogunjobi tried to convince him I'm, I'll be ready, blah, blah, blah. But it just didn't happen. And I think Poles did the right thing. Um, you know, if the guy who wants to sign somebody at that kind of money with there being a risk, if your doctors are telling you, yeah, this is a little risky, man, especially for that kind of money. Uh, yeah, you, you can't go through with it. And so Ryan Pace, would he'd be like, Pernell McPhee's hurt. <laughs> okay. How many race. times do the Bears just draft somebody hurt? Chris Williams, the tackle from Vanderbilt. Oh, He's hurt. God. Fuck it. Let's draft him. Yes. Uh, uh, and, he has uh, a terrible back, but you know what? We'll draft him. <laughs> He's got a broken foot. David Terrell, welcome to the Bears. <laughs> exactly. You know, but maybe this current regime is the one we've been waiting for. Oh, I love the way you put that, man. I love the way you put that. All right, let's get through some of this sound. I got way more than we'll probably use on the show, but I was just so impressed with, oh, okay, I got to use this one. Oh, I, I got to use that one. I got to use this one. So let's start uh, playing some of them and get your thoughts on it. Uh, first of all, this is offensive coordinator Luke Getze on his number one quarterback, Justin Fields. No, I, um, I've been super impressed with him. I really have. Um, there's no one in this building that works harder than him. There's no one that cares more than him. So uh, we're off to a great start. And, um, you know, he's really accepted this challenge. Uh, we've asked, we're asking a lot of him to, to learn a lot of new things. And, um, no, he's been a pleasure to work with. You know, I was raised on that, that the play caller and the quarterback have to have a great relationship. And that's important. And uh, and we have to be on the same page always. And that's uh, where, where I've really been, uh, where I felt like he's grown is he's he's communicating with me so well now, um, things that he's feeling, things that he sees. And so that part of it has just been tremendous for a young guy to be able to do that. And, um, you know, these three or four months we've been together now, it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. Dan, what's the first thing that sticks out in your mind when you just heard Getsy talking about Justin Fields? Honestly? Yes, please. Luke comes from Green Bay. Yes. <laughs> and he's he's got a guy now, Justin Fields, who's like, man, let's eat this up. I want to learn this playbook. I I probably cause him sir and <laughs> and wants to be great 
versus the guy in Green Bay is probably like, who the fuck are, are you, Luke? I know what I'm doing. Like, shut up. And it's probably dismissive to him the whole time he's up there versus the current guy, uh, you know, and Justin Fields, who's like, man, let, let's do this. Let's let's be good. Let's be great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure Rodgers was probably a fucking dick to uh, Luke the whole time he was in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's a great point. I didn't really I didn't really think of it that way, but you're absolutely right. I bet you you know. Let's face it. Anyone and and, and I, I think at this point probably sixty percent of Packers fans will tell you that Aaron Rodgers is a condescending asshole who only cares only about himself first and and foremost, and that um and that they can't they're they're hoping and praying that Jordan Love will be as good or almost as good a quarterback so that the Aaron Rodgers era is dead. It's not like they've been winning Super Bowls with Aaron Rodgers. It's it's more like he's been a big fucking pain in the ass. And now he's more or less the general manager too. Mm-hmm. Like he won. It was a power struggle going into last season and he won. Yep. He got like this massive deal. He, he's pretty much LeBron James. I'm not saying LeBron is a bad dude. I know a lot of right-wingers don't like LeBron because of his politics. Mm-hmm. But LeBron pretty much can make the roster wherever he goes. And and mm-hmm. that's kind of Rodgers with the exception of he always wants a big wide receiver. And Green Bay is like, well, we're not going to give you that. Mm-hmm. Somebody up on the screen, uh, Cody, has said that Equinemia St. Brown is going to be a stud this year. That's the player. That, I think that too. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to, you know. Not that I had any doubts about him, but listen to Getsy talk about EQ in this soundbite, and it gives you even more hope that uh, St. Brown could be a, uh, a high contributor for this offense. No, I, I, thought, uh, I thought EQ had a, a tremendous year last year and his growth and uh, maturity from where he was to where he is now. Um, I was really excited that we were able to snag him up because I just think that all his best football is ahead of him. So. Um, I'm excited to see. He's one of those guys, again, you know, talk about, you know, a big body, a guy that can run uh, and, and his toughness and all that stuff and everything that we're going to, you know, preach in this in this system. I mean, he is a, he's, a, he's that expectation. He's that leader of that, of that mindset. I love that. That gives me hope, you know. I, I think, look at it this way. He's with the rival of the team that he was at, mm-hmm. a team that he felt he didn't get enough snaps for. Mm-hmm. He didn't get enough opportunities. He certainly didn't get enough money in this offseason. Mm-hmm. So you got a guy that's coming in. I always use this Rocky Three analogy. This is clever Lang, man. You brought in Mr. T. You brought in the guy that's fucking working out in, on the street. Mm-hmm. And this guy's his whole livelihood is in the balance. Mm-hmm. Like, if he has a good year here, the Bears will give him a three- or four-year deal. Absolutely. They want him to be here. Yes. So go earn it. And I think this guy's going to earn it and if, if he stays healthy. Yeah, I agree 100% with what you just said, and I'll add to that. You know, I remember watching a uh, – a, uh, I think it was a uh, the HBO uh, show with uh, Gumble, Gumble on Sports or whatever that show is called. And it was a feature on the St. Browns. The father, who was a former weightlifting champ, this guy was sculpted, I mean, steroid sculpted to the T. And how he raised his, his two sons, Equinemius and uh, the young man that's playing the wide receiver for the Detroit Lions. Who is, and who ball, had, and he had a good year. Yeah, an excellent rookie year. He showed a lot of promise. We saw him score a touchdown at Soldier Field, you and I did. And so um, the, 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 uh, the thing is, is that in that, featurette you could kind of tell a little bit that 
Equinemius was the more cocky of the two, you know, and probably wasn't as mature as he should be. And that maybe all the accolades is his father was not that his father didn't put him through hard work, but he did. But some of those accolades maybe made his head too big. And so to hear gets, he said that he's matured so much. This could be it, man. It takes receivers three, four years, a lot of receivers in this NFL to to really mature and get to the top of their game after that third year. So St. Brown, it's all on you, brother. And I think the Bears didn't have the best wide receiver class last year. On paper, you know, you had some speed and it looked like there was some potential. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you had franchised Allen Robinson, and I'm not going to sit here and, and badmouth number 12, but it's not like Allen was getting double teamed last year. Mm-hmm. And he still wasn't getting open. Now, maybe he was hurt. It, maybe it was Nagy's vendetta or whatever the story was. But for whatever reason, he just wasn't himself at all last year. Mm-hmm. So if you can get almost anything out of Pringle or, you know, what's his nickname now? Equinemia, what was it? E- EQ? EQ? Is that what it is? EQ, yes. Uh, if we can, get, I'm going to start saying that because I almost <laughs> want to say ignoramus every time. <laughs> if we can get something from EQ or Pringle, then that exceeds anything you got probably with the rest of the receivers other than Mooney last year. You know, I saw Pringle make play after play when I was watching Chiefs games. He was always there. Now, was that uh, because of the cast around him? You know, having Tariq Hill on the football field is going to open things up for you. But what I also saw when he was with the Chiefs was that explosive yards after catch. You know, he just made moves, got, uh, you know, first of all, he would get open, find that open spot. And then after catching the ball, he would just blast through tacklers, make moves past tacklers. And so I always kept an eye on him, thinking maybe when this guy's a a free agent, he might be a good pick for the Bears. And lo and behold, the Bears grabbed him. He was one of four or five guys on my list that as kind of second-tier guys, obviously the Bears were going to pay for the first-tier guys uh, that were free agents. So I'm glad they got uh, Pringle. I'm a little disappointed with that off-the-field incident, but it's not that big of a deal. You know, I mean, you hate to put a kid in danger, so I shouldn't downplay it that much but um you know it it doesn't appear to be as bad as the headlines made it seem so i'm 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 a big fan of those two young free agent wide receivers definitely Um, where did where did bird go bird oh uh, he's jameer bird i think he's still a free agent him and the other uh wide receiver that was signed last year uh uh demir bird and who was the other guy um the guy from san francisco yeah uh yeah good one good one yes i think they're still free agents last time i looked at the list which was about uh i think late last week so they're they're out there uh marquise good one thank you uh tooch um getsy talking about the run game i think you're gonna like this dan we emphasize 11 it's 11 as one every single play it doesn't matter if we're in the run game pass pro or or we're throwing the rock i mean it's 11 as one it takes all 11 um and 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 for a young quarterback implementing that around him i mean that's that's huge so if you can run the ball that helps you in your play pass game and and you have to avoid the hardest part of this game is dropping back to pass it's simple i mean Plain and simple, that's the hardest thing to do in this league. And so if you don't have to do that as often, then you got a chance. Send the memo to Matt Nagy. <laughs> <laughs> Can you yeah. believe it? <laughs> not to keep, re, like, you know, just kicking Nagy, but to kick Nagy. <laughs> he'd have a drive 
where they hand David Montgomery the ball like six straight times and get like 75 yards out of it. Mm-hmm. And then would turn the ball over on downs on four straight passes out of the shotgun <laughs> and not get any points. Because that's what he wanted to do as a quarterback. Not because it was right for the team, not right for the personnel, a right to win the game. No, fucking Matt Nagy was an egomaniac. And listening God, to Getsy talking about how it's the run game is going to help Justin Fields. Oh, my God. What, what a message from God. <laughs> I wonder if Matt Nagy ever figured out the why that he was always talking about. The why was him. He's the why. That's right. So, God, somebody, I just fucking hate that guy. Somebody in the Chiefs locker room should put us like a sticky note on the mirror so that when Manaki walks up and says, the, says, the why was you, you asshole, sign the bears. Or just have like anytime there's a picture of his face somewhere, just draw a penis on it. <laughs> just I, act like you're in school because this guy deserves no respect whatsoever. That's no good. respect. <laughs> That's good. Uh, let's see. I got so much more here. Uh, Getsy on uh, tapping into another another miracle here that an offensive coordinator realizes this. This is him talking about tapping into players' strengths. I think the biggest thing is, you know, as when they get here, when guys get here, whether they're a vet or whether they're not, when you when you get on the practice field and you see what the you know what they do best, it's about tapping into that for each player, not just Valus, um, but each guy. And so if Valus shows that he can handle more, then he's going to get more. Um, but it's about each, each and every single guy on our team. we got to tap into what they do best, and I think that will give us an opportunity to, to be the kind of offense that we all want to see. Dan, that's like you know asking me to have uh... – uh, an orgy and try to satisfy three women at the same time. I can't do that anymore. Dan. <laughs> I can't. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> you know, I like Getsy. The yeah, more I too. hear him talk, the right. more I, I really like him, and I want to give him a nickname. Okay. <laughs> Straight out of English class, we had the great Gatsby. Yeah. Oh. Now we have the great Getsy. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> now, I and remember- he sounds great in comparison with Nagy. Let me yeah. just say that again. <laughs> I like that. Now, this is uh, Getsy talking about Larry Borum and uh, Tevin Jenkins, the two top draft, not top, top draft picks. Uh, Jenkins was round two, Borum was round five, but talking about them and plans for them. As far as their mindset, their approach every single day, I'm excited about them. I think they both have a really good chance this year to show what they're made of. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, we're trying to set a mentality up front. And I think both of those guys are good leaders for, for that, for sure. He loves that fucking killer instinct of those guys. That's what he's talking about there, that meanness. Um, and Jenkins clearly showed that he had that, oof. taking up for fields against the Vikings. Yes, indeed. And if you followed any of Larry Borum's career in college, he had that same thing too. He would block guys down into the turf and not get off them. He would fart on them. He would do whatever is necessary to humiliate them. And so I'm, I'm – I'm encouraged by those words when Getsy says that he he thinks those those guys are going to have a great opportunity to prove what they're really made out of. I still don't want to see Sam Mustafer playing right guard. I, I'd like to see them sign a veteran mm-hmm. cast off in June. Maybe not a cast off, but somebody that could come in and give you a bridge to your next right guard draft pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um yeah. Well, now, again, I, I, I undervalued James Daniels. Mm-hmm. When he left, I was like, I'm glad the Bears didn't give him that money. I know some people disagree with me. I'm fine with him being gone, but 
you got to have somebody that can play this season yeah. in that spot. Yep. And, you know, I, I think that we might see somebody like maybe even uh, Larry Borum play that right guard. I, and I think I mentioned that. On the what, one of, and play the fifth-round pick at tackle? Yeah. Or they pick up a veteran. Um, but one of the things about that fifth-round pick, uh, what's the hell is his name, Braxton, uh, he – came off sounding really good this this past weekend listening to listen to him uh answering the question what are you trying to prove this weekend this past weekend at rookie minicamp i think the biggest thing is being coachable um when the coach tells you your first step's too slow you know you go out there over and over again and try and you know correct that first step uh, that was a big thing for me even uh yesterday is just that first step was um too slow and behind me and so i wasn't gaining enough ground to get to where i need to be and you know some of these guys when I get to training camp, is it going to be much faster than they are now? So um, that's very important. I think just being coachable and understanding, looking at the coach and being like, yes, I understand that. I can pick that up, and now I can go tra- translate it on the field. Just looking quick, finishing, and all that stuff as well. I love that. I do too. I and not, not just what he said, because how many years, again, not to keep jumping on Nagy, but the last four or five years, even maybe during John Fox's run, anytime there was some sort of progress or or lack of progress in, in mini camp or in training camp or OTAs, they'd always say, you know, trust the process. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You know, Matt Nagy would say, like, you know, if Mitch gets picked off 12 times in practice, don't worry about it. It'll be okay come September. And yeah. it's like, and I, I'm not kicking Trubisky either. I liked Mitch, but. At least now, it just sounds like even in May, they're like, no, nah, these these OTAs and rookie mini camps matter, mm-hmm. and and you got to learn from it because like you what so it's his first weekend in and they're already telling you, bro, your your first step's not fast enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna work on that. I like it. It's constructive. Yep, I'll never forget watching um, the season of Hard Knocks when Martellus Bennett was a rookie with the Dallas Cowboys. And his offensive line coach uh, or tight ends coach was giving him instruction. And you could tell Martellus was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, he looks at the camera and sort of rolled his eyes. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're a dick. You know, it's not just that this looks good on you, but it looks bad for the coach. You know, you're basically saying – you know that uh, this guy isn't good at his job. You're 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 fucking spitting on him while he's trying to help you become a better player. Now I don't know. I don't remember that coach's name, or maybe he ended up being a bust in the league and so forth. But you don't do that when the fucking cameras rolling on you. If you got a problem with that coach, do it man to man behind a closed door. Well, if you recall, Martellus was here, and I liked him, mm-hmm. but the, seemingly the entire time Martellus was a bear. His brother that was in Seattle at the time was always criticizing Jay Cutler for no reason. Mm-hmm. But you know why that reason was? Because his brother couldn't say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, his brother, the defensive player from the Seahawks, I think he's with Philly now. At least he was. I can't think of his first name, but Martellus's brother was a really good defensive player. Yeah. And was always attacking Cutler, saying that he sucked and shit. And that's when Martellus was here. Yeah. What the hell was that? He was with the Seahawks. And then he moved on uh, elsewhere. I think the Philly. I think the Philadelphia. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. 
what else? Do I, got? I got so many goodies here. Let's stay with Braxton. Uh, there were a couple of really, not couple, several really impressive sound bites from Braxton. Jordan said that one of the things he talked about was that he was there to learn. Michael Bennett, thank you, uh, Tooch. Michael yeah, Bennett was the guy. And uh, Braxton was talking about uh, he's there to learn, but also to compete for that starting job. Now, unfortunately, I didn't pull that one. I pulled this one where one of the things that worried me a little bit was that this guy has played a lot of football because of COVID. They had to change their fall schedule at their, their university, moved it to the spring, and then they had their fall season, and then he gets drafted, and he spends all that time preparing for the combine and so forth. So his body has not had a lot of rest. And now with the 17-game season coming up, and he might be the starter – that's concerning. He was asked about that. I think the biggest thing is kind of being consistent with your recovery. Um, this weekend is kind of a little bit more difficult with that in terms of the schedule is a little bit more crammed, um, and you don't necessarily have as much time for recovery, but you still can get it in there. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is making sure I'm uh, staying on top of those things and you know really making sure I'm putting time away for recovery because it's super important, especially knowing that it's not going to stop anytime soon and that we're just going to pick up and keep on going as the season goes. By the way, I did pull that one up. What, what he's trying to prove, this is it. I think it. the biggest thing is being coachable. Um, when the coach tells No, that's not it. This is it. Uh, I would say a little bit of both. Um, obviously, you know, as a rookie, you can't come in and act like you're, you know, already got the job done. You got a lot of stuff to learn. There's, you know, the playbook and stuff like that. But in the course of how you're playing, I'd say you're, you know, you're trying to take someone's job. Obviously, everyone's out there to take someone's job. So um, I approach, you know, the playbook kind of like a rookie and trying to figure it out and, you know, master the little things and um, be good at that. And then on the field, when it comes to finishing and playing hard, you're approaching that like you're trying to take someone's job. When, when, you're, uh, when you're drafted where you were, uh, how much homework do you do on what the situation is? And how much of an opportunity is there? How much did you do to find out what exactly where, you know, where things stand? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, when I was drafted where I was, you know, I watched the rest of the draft too and kind of how they drafted as well. Um, and it looks like we're just, you know, trying to compete everywhere. Um, they have O-linemen here and the situation's good here. But, you know, last year giving up a lot of sacks or whatever, you know, we're just trying to be great. So I think the biggest thing for them is just we're trying to get a bunch of guys to compete and to compete against each other and have fun while we're doing it. So this guy's brilliant. I fucking love yeah, him. <laughs> yeah, the best thing about what he was saying, because mm -hmm. he said all the right things, but it didn't feel like it was rehearsed. It felt like he was just talking off the cuff. Yes. And was just telling you how he really felt. Mm hmm versus you know like the robotic trubisky kind of press conference mm -hmm. where he's just like what should i say in this situation can somebody tell me uh let me read that book on leadership and see what i'm supposed to say <laughs> Another shot. and i don't mean i have no malice for <laughs> I, know, him. I truly I don't uh it is ironic that he kind of got mike glennon in pittsburgh though mm -hmm. because you know they signed him like glennon and then drafted the kid from pitt sort of reverse when he was anyway mm -hmm. uh the the lineman he sounded he sounded exactly what the way we'd want him to and it sounded like again it was his own passion his own truth mm -hmm. and moreover with recovery at least he's still young mm -hmm. so it's not like well i don't want to say this and then he gets hurt but his body's more conducive it's more conducive for this style right now versus a 33 year old mm -hmm without a lot of you know breaks like you were saying because he had to play in the spring and then the fall and then 
then preparing for the draft. And now he's got the, all this preparation for the 17 games and hopefully a couple more in yep. the playoffs. We'll see. He, you know, us, uh, who was his name? Uh, Jordan Murray in the chat says they put him up in the podium for a reason. Well, but here's the thing, Jordan, is that they put up all of the draft picks and all of them sounded super impressive. This team w- was, was drafting not only of what they saw on tape, but what they saw and heard when they talked to the players. They talked to players, and they, what they learned from them is that they were smart, that they loved the game of football, that they loved to compete, that they want to be coached up. They had all of these qualities that that's why, you know, from the tape that we saw, we may have seen wide receivers have better playmaking skills than Valus Jones, but when you add in what they learned from Valus when they talked about him, and that was echoed again when he shows up uh, to training camp, to the rookie mini camp, with wearing a suit. You know who else did that? Who? Forte. Matt, Matt Forte, that's right. True yeah, pro. Yeah, when he was a rookie, he showed up in a suit. Yep, true pro. And that, I love that about, you know, the way they're building this team. And you can't, you know, sometimes you need a whiskey drinker who likes to, you know, punch somebody in the face every now and then. Sometimes you need somebody like that on the roster. But – you, you, first and foremost, you, you need those guys with those qualities that I just mentioned. Uh, they're going to help you win a little bit more often than the guys who are always facing, you know, criminal, <laughs> criminal offenses. Do we have anybody on this team now that seems like the kind of guy that would uh, Dan know. Hampton it? You know, let's go get drunk and <laughs> kick somebody's ass. It's like everybody on the 85 Bears, you thinking? <laughs> well, yeah, Mongo or, or Hampton would fuck anybody up. But I'm just saying, like, who is anybody on this team now of that ilk? Yeah, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Um, it would have to be a lineman. There's got to be somebody there. Maybe Jenkins. Uh, uh, offensive lineman, Tevin Jenkins? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe Jenkins looks like he would like to get drunk and fuck a guy up in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, too. Last year when he was having his press conferences, he was really watching what he had to say. He was saying, I, I got to learn what I can say up here and stuff. So um, I can't wait to see him interviewed again. That should happen uh, when when the veterans arrive next week. So, um, all right, a little bit more here. I want to um, – Talking about guys who really, really uh, sounded fantastic, Jaquan Brisker, the safety pick with the second over the second pick of the Bears. Listen to this guy talk about what he wants to prove during this opening weekend and in the weeks ahead. That I could um, pick up on a playbook fast enough, and um, you know, just play fast. You know, I think that's very important. You know, um, you know, coming in, you know, high expectations, but you know, also showing it on the field. You know, um, you know, showing that you know I'm in shape, and then showing that you know I could you know learn the plays, good or you know a bad days, just always being you know a leader. You know, just always you know letting people know that you're there, but you know just um you know just having your teammates be comfortable. You know, um really just you know out there you just trying you know coach everybody up or you know coach myself up. You know, just always trying. Be a coach, and then you know, transfer to here. You know, just really, just be myself. Don't be no one else. But um, you know, just you know, carry that leadership um to the Chicago Bears. Also, you know, I, I you know, I, I've been used to being a leader. So um, just come over here. You know, learn on these guys. But at the same time, you know, I could be a leader also. Here's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I, I love this guy is uh, when I was in management at a corporation. One of the books that I was asked to uh, 
told, you know, read this book. It's called uh, The 360-Degree Leadership Principle. And it's basically is that you got to lead people and everyone and make them all believe, because it's true, that they all have a role in leadership. That if you're just going to show up to work and and be and listen to what coaches or, or whoever your boss is going to tell you what to do, that's not enough. That you have to participate in the leadership and uh, talk to the coaches, talk to your boss about well, about if I do it this way or what do you think if I do that? Do you think I should go help this person? Do you think I should do this? And Jaquan just just t- shared the, the synopsis of the book with that soundbite. This guy sounds like he is ready to replace Eddie Jackson, not only with his playing playing uh, style, uh, but also with his words and with his leadership. Eddie, you better watch out because this guy is not going to be your teammate. He's going to be your successor. Unless they put him, I see him, and, and I agree. I liked his his sound right there as well, the soundbite. I see this guy, if he stays healthy, as being someone I probably get his jersey soon. Uh but yeah, I, I envision him as a strong safety, kind of in the box, coming up and hitting the that's running back. Is. And that's what he is. And a, yeah, and then maybe the other guy that we drafted as safety taking Eddie's spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely doable. The one thing I do say about the free safety and strong safety thing is that that is slowly going away. Every team now wants safeties that can do both: play the strong safety position and play the free safety position because they want to fool the quarterback. They want to fool the quarterback into thinking, okay, this guy's going to be the strong safety. Oh, no, he drops out into center field and the free safety is coming in to blitz my ass. They they, they want that confusion. Uh, and so – Kind of like the Mike Linebacker stuff. Exactly, exactly. When you have to figure out who's blitzing. You got it. You got it. And so uh, this guy, to me, is not only smart, but have you seen his uh, highlight reel, uh, Dan, any of his highlights? Yeah, the, the day after the draft I saw some and I was impressed. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. We, the breaking news here. Cassie Stewart says, I'm a Cowboys fan, but I will say that you guys drafted a great wide receiver, Vilas Jones Jr. from University of Tennessee. He is actually a friend of mine. I'm a student at UT. And Cassie, let me tell you something. You look like one of those Cowboys cheerleaders in that picture. A very attractive woman uh, and knows her stuff about football. So thanks for your comment, Cassie. You're welcome on the show anytime. And How do you think we got her? I don't know, but <laughs> I, I wish we'd get her more often. <laughs> yeah, like, how did she become a, a P1? You know, uh, It's interesting. Maybe she uh, typed in on Google search Velas Jones and saw that we were be talking because I put his name in our description and i learned that that's a good way to attract uh different people to to the show um so anyway uh I, i'm just impressed with all these guys <laughs> iceberg slim is giving me the the uh emoji saying you dog and uh, no, i'm not i'm being nice to cassie her, she said that her aunt is actually a former cowboys cheerleader look at that cassie you want to you want to come on next week's show <laughs> We'd love to have you talk talk about your love of football. Talk about the cheerleading business from what your aunt told you. Bring your aunt on too, uh, because one of my pet peeves is that the Chicago Bears don't have cheerleaders. And I understand. I think the- about this: the last time the Bears had cheerleaders, we won the Super Bowl. Mm. That's the last year that we had cheerleaders. See that? 
another reason why we need. I didn't even think about that. That was the year also that we had the refrigerettes, and uh, yeah. they've gone. Even bring the refrigerettes back. <laughs> I just want people to help with the cheering because so many times I've gone to Soldier Field and it's sixty thousand dead people just sitting on their hands. All rich people who who paid you know a thousand dollars for for their ticket, and uh, or a poor guy like me who paid a thousand dollars for the ticket. <laughs> That's poor right. because I went to the fucking game. <laughs> and, they, and they couldn't hear you nor I cheer from those seats. As expensive as they were, they were a little far away from the field. But those were, you know what? I love that viewpoint. I, I went to a game with Draft Dr. Phil, where it's basically like the All-22. We were seeing stuff that you normally don't see in a broadcast. You rarely ever see in a broadcast. And then, you know, if you want to watch the NFL films, all 22, it's not quite the same as being there from those seats up in that, uh, that bird perch. I love those seats. And, uh, and I appreciate you buying, buying me a ticket. <laughs> you know what, what else would be good other than the cheerleaders uh, back in the eighties, they would have like a live band there playing bear down. Yeah. That's right. The band, uh, that was like if they score, especially in a playoff game, mm -hmm. you just fucking strike up the band. That was one of the cool things about RFK Stadium. Mm -hmm. Even yeah. as much as I hated Washington because they always beat us in the playoffs, it seemed like. Um, but, yeah, that band was badass. They'd start playing Hail to the Redskins or whatever that song was called. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. Uh, missing. Several years ago, but anyway, um, let's bring the Tucci in because I know he's chomping to get in on this. Uh, Santucci, come on in, join the party. Let me get rid of this. Hello. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, let me do it. Hello, man. How are you, sir? I forgot my whiteboard. You forgot your whiteboard? <laughs> and you forgot to wear a tie. <laughs> I'm not wearing a black shirt to smell like a floating head. <laughs> uh, Tooch, you've been listening to uh, the interviews and what we've been talking about. Anything stand out to, to you about uh, any of the interviews we already heard uh, and you want to comment on? Uh, I love this Braxton Jones kid, man. <laughs> like, right? If this kid doesn't win a, a starting spot, I'm going to be a little disappointed, I'll tell you. Yeah, I mean, there's still a long way to go. You got to see him in pads. You got to go through the whole process and stuff. But yeah, I'll be disappointed just from a character standpoint. I'd love to, you know, settle in on who the the five guys are going to be for the Bears' offensive line for the next ten years. I like to get that settled as quickly as possible. And he's certainly a candidate. Yeah, I think we're. Uh, I mean, I like more and more what I hear from both the, you know the general manager and the coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke Getze, uh, we, we learned a lot, you know, uh, we, uh, we learned, uh, I mean, we were talking about Equinemia St. Brown, how, you know, this, this kid could have a, a breakout season. Mm -hmm. So uh, he'll bring that knowledge of the, of the system of Luke Getze, the great Getze. That was awesome. Big Dan. <laughs> yeah, I Thank love you. That. <laughs> that is good. Well, I got lots of sound of the defensive coordinator too. Uh, let's just, uh, get through a, two or three of them and have your guys comment. Uh, first one I'll play is um, <clears throat> this is going to really thrill all of us, all of us, Dan, Tooch, everyone who is with us live. This is going to be, thrill us when uh, uh, Williams, the new defensive coordinator, started talking about the autonomy 
he has gotten from Matt Eberflus. This is not Matt Eberflus's defense as much as it is Williams. The three technique can affect the quarterback. Wrong one. He's been outstanding, um, which and what that means is um, he's kind of stayed away so I can put my stamp on it, so I can put my personality to it. Um, and that's and, you know, I commend him for that to uh, every uh, every meeting or every practice. He's not looking over my shoulder. So I got to go, oh, um, you know, am I doing things right? He's kind of stayed away and said, Alan, you take it, you run with it, you build it, you do it, put your stamp on it. And so um and then he's, um, you know, he's kind of stayed back, similar to what Coach Dungy did when he was uh, when, uh, in Indianapolis. He stayed back. And uh, when you asked, hey, I need some help here, uh, he stepped in and he uh, lends his expertise. And, uh, or he steps in and says, hey, have you thought about this? A plus. I don't know if um, many people uh, could do that, have a defensive background, let someone go and, and put their stamp on it. And, and so far he's, he's done that. And, yeah, I, um, I can't say how much I, I appreciate that. I love these guys. It's so again. It's the absolute antithesis of Matt Nagy. Yes, Nobody on the offensive staff during his run could say anything close to that and be truthful. Yep, it's like uh, McCaskey or Bill Polian did a, a list. You know, these are all of the traits of Matt Nagy, and then these are the opposite traits that we want. <laughs> who who fills that the best? The opposite of Matt Nagy. <laughs> Find guys like that. Exactly. Exactly. What a, what a, we're going to look back at that era, the Matt Nagy era and say, holy cow. You know, after the 2018 season, we were all like, oh, okay, this might be really good. No. <laughs> no. I know. Not, you were you were one of the few. You, I guess draft Dr. Phil was very critical of him back then, yeah. too, working with after, him back after then. After the second year, I'd seen enough. But. They, they, they were like, hey, find guys like this. We're going to be over disinfecting the other the old guy's office. Get every bit of uh, virus and stench and contagion out of there. And, and thought and, and, and management <laughs> philosophy. Exorcism, the priest will be here. Yes, exactly. But, you, you know, know the guy we might be able to get on air, seriously, that seriously. would tell us about how bad he was? Is? It's Kyle Long. Ooh. I don't know if you noticed, but Kyle's got his Bears jersey on in his Twitter picture again. Mm, I did not know that. Yeah, I mean, I assume he's probably retired now. Yeah. But he he, he would tell – I mean, he's been on the, the Barn Room Network before. Yeah, a couple times. And I, I bet you Kyle would tell you straight shoot, like, how shitty this guy was. Yeah. Well, I'll reach out to him. I'll do a little pleading. Man, um, that would be awesome. Yeah, we got some him. questions. Yeah. And that wouldn't even be clickbait. I mean, I mean, I guess to a certain extent it would be. Maybe that's what he would be wary of, uh, a reticent of to appear. Mm-hmm. But seemingly no one from any time during his run has said anything bad about him publicly when you know all of them are sitting on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I- so we need to give that forum for them to vent. Yeah. Uh, Cassie Stewart uh, says Valus is a great person. He's thrilling to watch in the field. He is a transfer to UT from SoCal. Super nice guy. I had a lab class with him last semester. All right. So uh, Cassie, I hope I'm pronouncing that wrong. Sometimes I say Casey and that's not correct. Let me ask Cassie a question directly. Please. Are you going to wear a Bears jersey? 
Yes, when you come on the gentleman. show next week. <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll be a Bears fan now. So maybe we have a new fan. Yes. Not us. I mean the Chicago Bears. Yeah. Egotistical in terms of ours. Uh, thing here. I just meant like, is she going to buy a Bears jersey now? He, he's wearing number 12, I think, right? The Robinson's uh, old number? Yes, he is. That's right. That's right. Yep. That's right. Cassie, I'll buy you a Bears jersey if you come on with Velas. All right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Number 12, Velas Jones jersey. And it won't be one of these uh, Kmart jerseys. Kmart or, yeah, or the not to sound prejudiced, but those Chinese uh, online knockoffs. <laughs> God, those are horrible. The orange is always wrong. The stuff's falling off the jersey. The size is always wrong. <laughs> you bought like a couple you were, of those, right? <laughs> I bought uh, – no, I had a guy I, – I gave him the entire 2001 season on DVD, and he sent me a Roquan jersey when Roquan was a rookie. And, and that was so cool. But, it, man, like the nameplate was falling off. and I mean, it wasn't his fault. You know I mean? It was just how the Chinese jerseys are made that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, God, they're so the colors wrong, the name shit's wrong. I think I had a Kevin White one like that too. Oh my God! Because again, he was from here, you know, WVU and stuff. And man, you talk about a bust, big time. Cassie says Cowboys first, but I can pull for the Bears too. So, uh, you know, I got a good friend who's a Cowboys fan, and um, I don't talk to him during the season, especially if the Cowboys are playing better than the Bears, which so I haven't talked to him in a while. <laughs> Um, all right, uh, let me play another one from Mr. Williams. Uh, let's see here. Uh, he talked about um, – let me see. Oh, this is this is my favorite one. Chicago Bears. You know, every time I say that, I um, – you know, sometimes I get emotional. Chicago Bears. Isn't that isn't – that, didn't you want to hug the guy? <laughs> yes, I do. Now he knows how I feel. Like, exactly. Exactly. Chicago Bears, 5 and 11. Chicago yeah. Bears, I'm crying. <laughs> That's right. The, the reason we cry, Coach Williams, <laughs> is because they suck so badly. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, after, after hearing that clip, I will never forget this guy's name because I, previous to the show, I had to look up his name. I was like, what, the, what defensive coordinator's name? God damn it. Something well, I already like him better than Desai. Oh, yeah, me too. Me, definitely. Let me give you another reason to uh, to like him. This is how, uh, this is him explaining the importance of that three tech defensive line position. He spells it out so so great. I mean, one of the things these guys have been talking about from Ryan Poles on down is what great teachers there are on the coaching staff. And you can just tell by listening to Williams that he's a great teacher. Listen to this lesson on the three T. The three technique can affect the quarterback. Uh, usually it's the, the three technique, and uh, you'll hear um, one of our coaches refer to it as the under tackle. He'll, the three, he affects the quarterback, and uh, it's the nose that usually gets all the doubles. And if the nose is getting the doubles, the three uh, gets to run to the ball. Um, usually if you have a good three and you have a good nose, uh, the ball never gets out the side of the three and the nose, and you can play football between the, between the tackles. Uh, but that guy, in essence, can affect the quarterback. And anyone that you get, any position that you can get that, that can affect the quarterback in a positive way for the defense is a huge plus because it's a quarterback-driven league. And anytime the quarterback is worrying about, you know, a guy or that guy, it's a big plus for the defense. I wish I had teachers like that in school, you know, to explain to me, you know, how the astronomy works. 
<laughs> explain to me how to uh, the square roots of 53 or whatever. I just never had teachers that made it, you know, just listen to me. He's so interesting and it articulates things so well. I, I love this guy. man. I the pervert in me would like to have had teachers that like on the news, they're always getting arrested. Yes. You know, like, ah, she's fine. She's uh, 28 and she blew a fifth grader. Like all my, all my teachers look like Dorothy from the fucking Golden Girls. <laughs> <laughs> you never had an attractive teacher, female teacher? All my female teachers look like they would hate me. And <laughs> damn sure didn't want to blow me. They wanted to fucking kill me. That's funny. And they look like my great grandmother. Yeah. I'll never forget when I was in fifth grade. Eleanor Roosevelt. Ele <laughs> Same dental work as Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> Just looked like they came from. The fucking dust bowl or something, you know, the grapes, the grapes of wrath. That's because in a part of the country that you're you're from, they probably still look that way today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Touche. Uh, I'll never forget. Uh, my brother was a year older than me. He would come home from school and says, did you see Mrs. Cohen today? Oh, my God. We were all trying to look up her skirt and blah, 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 blah. And I, yeah, at that point, I wasn't like, you know, I, I'm just trying to listen to what she's teaching. And then all of a sudden, one day at school, she like bent over to pick up an eraser or something. <laughs> and it, my whole life changed. Swing. <laughs> I mean, I, puberty. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> now I understand why my brother's in the shower for so long. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Um, I could play some of these forever. I got so many. But now let's, uh, let's turn over to a couple of more of the Bears players. Uh, uh, again, Valus Jones, super impressive. He talked about what needs improvement. Listen to this, Cassie. I would say um, top of the routes, um, breaking in and out of routes. Um, you know, that comes with flexibility, things off the field. Um, be able to... Um, be able to, you know, drop my hips even more. Just as a um, working on my route craft overall. I mean, even the best route runners, you know, they got to get better at something. I, I love the fact that he's authentic about that. Uh, authentic about, and that was, you know, if you read all the draft reports, it was that he needed to learn the, the complete route tree. He was basically being used for explosive plays, easy plays, and so forth, and and you know, and you look at the fact that he's 25 years old, he still doesn't know the route tree. It's a little bit of an eyebrow raiser, but that doesn't matter because he's going to learn it now from these great teachers. And what he doesn't know what how to do or what to do, he's not going to be asked to do it. That's what this coaching staff has talked about. So that's really uh, important. And this is him talking about how his age, the age of 25, is a benefit to him. It is a benefit because I'm coming in with maturity. Um, I'm all about my business. You know, I was young, but now that I'm older, you know, I realize, like, what's at stake? And this is the best job in the world. And so, you know, like I said before, they're getting a guy that's mature and don't care much about partying, just coming in, and I'm ready to establish a role in this team to help us win games. Um, definitely, um, mine is screwed on right. And so, yeah, they're definitely getting a mature guy that's um, all about his business. It's going to help this team any way possible. Stephen Mee says uh, that he talks so well that he could be the next Kevin White. Come on, Stephen. Come I, on. Well, the, the comparison with Kevin White, I thought about the same thing, like, because Kevin didn't know the route tree either, which was so 
disconcerting because he was hurt so often. You would think that would be the one thing he'd be doing. Yes, exactly. Studying the route tree. But the age thing is overblown. If you think about, like, when we picked up Cutler, uh, we were saying, like, dude, this guy, he's only 26. Mm-hmm. He's only 26. He's got 10 years of Pro Bowls ahead of him. Mm-hmm. So this guy's younger than that. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that he was just he was just drafted, but if for some reason he had been a free agent in the league already, we would be saying, oh, he's only 25. The sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Had we signed him as a free agent. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, I mean, yeah, I think that part is a little overblown. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, all right. Uh, I want to get to some of these quickly because we have much more to talk about. Uh, this is uh, the running back, Ebner, who now all of a sudden I've been watching more tape on him. I'm saying, holy cow, this running back room tattooch that the Bears have is loaded with talent. And this guy yeah. comes from a program that ran, runs the outside zone, just like the Bears are going to do this year. This is him on uh, playback uh, playbook similarity. Uh, I see a lot of outside zone, and uh, we've been going over that a lot. So I feel very comfortable uh, running outside zone. That's the offense I ran this year. That's all we ran. And so I'm excited to show like that side of my game, too. You said after you were drafted that you felt like your receiving skills are one of the biggest you know, attributes you can bring to this team. What makes you so good as a receiver? Just because that's the position I played my whole life until I got to college. So, you know, that's the thing I'm like most comfortable with is catching the ball and uh, making people miss after I catch it. Tooch, this guy to me could become one of the more valuable pickups this offseason, given that we still have a, pro- a problem at the wide receiver position. Yes, we've got some uh, intriguing players, like we talked about EQ and Pringle and so forth, but it's it, it still doesn't have the depth. There's only one guy on that team, on the Bears team, who has been a full-time starter the last two years, and that's Darnell Mooney. Outside of that, everyone else on that roster is not a starter. But you bring in a kid like this, a running back who can catch balls out of the backfield and really looks like a wide receiver. All of a sudden, that burden that these wide receivers have is lessened because this guy could be a weapon. I really hope hope that he, uh, Ebner makes the team. What do you think? I don't fall asleep on this kid, man. I'll tell you. I watched the Baylor games last year. This dude is super fast. He's shifty. I, I think uh, uh, as a third down back, he could really carve out a role, you know, sort of like Tariq Cohen had in, you know, 18 and, and 19. I know uh, uh, he's been compared to a larger Tariq Cohen. And, of course, we've got more Tariq Cohen to talk about later. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, man, I, I could see this kid catching 50 balls just out of the backfield coming in on third down. You know, uh, uh, it, it, you might even see him get first down carries uh, yeah. just like, like Khalil Herbert did last year because he knows – you know, uh, the, 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 the system, you know, is very similar to what Baylor run the run game at the bears. So I, I think this is someone you're going to be like, wow, let's get this kid a little more touches. Mm-hmm. Cliff says that Abner was inconsistent at Baylor. Fantastic play one down and then runs until ends about the next. And sometimes, you know, it's obvious that it's the running backs uh, fault, but sometimes it's not obvious that it was the lineman's fault or somebody else's fault. So, um, and and he readily admits that that's something that he knows that he can do, but he wasn't as proficient in that as he should. So hopefully, uh, he he will prove otherwise. Uh, Dan, any thoughts on uh, Ebner? I'm not sure that he's going to play. I mean, I I'm 
I hope that he ends up being an awesome draft pick. But we've got Montgomery, we've got Herbert, the, the kid that they signed from the Titans as well. Evans, Darrington Evans, yes. Right. Yeah, and he was supposed to be a third down back. Yes. I'm right. not sure if this guy sees any PT at all. He might be the 53rd man or on special teams. Mm-hmm. So, because again, the, we've drafted two guys, uh, unless he's a returner, but then again, that's what they were saying Jones would be. He is a returner. Yeah, he's he's, I don't, was I don't, one of the best returners in the country. He's being year. inevitable. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because uh, Hightower was uh, – what's his first name? Bubba Smith? Hightower? <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> special teams coach Hightower says that uh, – he was asked, who is the returner on this team? I envision anybody that has a helmet on that's a returner uh, doing both. So if anyone has a helmet on, we're going to train them at both, and then we'll see what they can do best, and we'll put the best guy out there that helps the Bears be successful. It does wonders for the guys, for the players, because they can look around the locker room and see, oh, that guy can return. Oh, he's good. I'm not comfortable, you know. So there's competition there. And it's also it's awesome just to have some options, you know. So it does a it, it's done a huge boost, but we still have a far way to go. We haven't put on pads yet, so but it's a, it's really good to have options. I love this guy too. This is the guy I want to have a beer with, as opposed to the last special teams coach who took him two years to teach his special teams players the rules. You know, <laughs> I, I can't. The last special teams coach that I really liked was Danny Abramowitz with yeah, Lonnie. He was great. Danny Danny a was great. Great receiver. That's the last one I can think of that I really liked, though. Mm. Interesting. Well, Dave uh, Tobe. Dave Tobe was before. Everyone that. said Dave Tobe, but I mean, I always thought when they're like, oh, Dave Tobe for coach, I'm like, really? I don't know. It's interesting that he's never had another coaching position other than special teams yeah. coordinator. That it would it really would have helped his prospect to become a head coach if he would have been given the opportunity to be the defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. But I guess. That was never Don't you think forte. Dave Tobe was just made by Devin Hester? <laughs> I mean, I could have been the special teams coach with Devin Hester because <laughs> Devin Hester just caught the ball and ran. Yeah, that's a good point, man. I mean, Devin Dude. Hester was, uh, you know, should be a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, sometimes like Matt Nagy, for example, gets a job based upon some success that he really didn't contribute to. And I think maybe that was Dave Tobe as well, because any coordinator would have flourished with Devin Hester. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like Dave Tobe had, you know, like call, called a trick play at just the right time back then, you know, where we would get some kind of surprise first down or something that would take, you know, Bears fans and viewers by surprise as well. Did, didn't some team hire him after the Bears and give him like special teams coach, assistant head coach? I, I don't know why. I, I seem to remember I something like it, that. I thought it was the Chiefs. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Um, uh, Jordan says Ebner's best quote was that he understands his role. He understands how to be a change of pace back, not looking or expecting to be a bell cow. And he says that he, he, he would love, you know, if he was the number one running back, he would love to see uh, the carries shared. He's a, t- a true teammate and wants, doesn't expect to, to get all the glory. So he's got his head on straight. He, he knows what today's NFL looks like. And you know what? Frankly speaking, while I would love David Montgomery to be a three-down back, that is kind of 
become an antiquated thought or an antiquated role for running backs now. You don't want your best back, David Montgomery, to be getting all of those hits that by week 15, 16, he's not the same guy you saw in his prime earlier in the season. So uh, having this depth at running back, even guys who will probably be in the practice squad but will then be available if there's an injury and you don't have to go looking in the waiver wire, bring in uh, uh, um, this kid that we just talked about. So, uh, again, um, it, it's it's Ebner. Uh, it's a uh, uh, an encouraging position that we're in. While there's some positions that we really need – to add some more depth to, there are some that are loaded, like defensive backs now, especially the cornerbacks, and uh, and the running back position. Outstanding depth. If anybody disagrees, let them speak now or forever. No, I agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. It's nine uh, twenty here in Chicago. Let's play a couple uh, more. Dominique Robinson is sort of the talk of the town because he played quarterback in high school, went to college and played uh, wide receiver, and now he's lining up at, as a defensive end type for the Chicago Bears. So I, I selected this soundbite just to get to know him. This is about 50 seconds of him talking about himself. I did. I graduated in 2019. I started my master's uh, a couple semesters ago, so I'm four classes out. I'll probably finish it sometime soon here. We'll see. How did you manage all of that with more than a full-time job of yeah. it was. It was, you know, it's, it's a lot more easy than you think. I, You know, my social life is... I'm married now with two, so I've been talking to the same girl ever since freshman year, and um, you know I, I don't have much of a social life. I don't like going out. I don't drink. I don't smoke. So, you know, doing work was not hard. You know, sometimes it was a little tough getting the work done. You know, you got roommates and stuff like that. But I, it was it was easy to manage. It wasn't nothing crazy. Do you have aspirations in that field? I do. I do. Um, you know, after the playing is over. I plan on getting back into the school systems, doing some high school counseling. I love this guy. <laughs> I love him all. This guy, I want him to be my high school counselor. Can I go back to high school and have him be my counselor instead of Elizabeth Maldonado, who ended up being part of the FALN and is still in jail for plotting to to bomb the capital of the United States. That was my high school counselor in freshman year. I want him. <laughs> wow. Is that true? Yeah, it's totally true. I might have That's her great. first name incorrect. Uh, I don't know if it was Elizabeth or Nancy, but yeah, she was part of the FALN, which was a uh, Puerto Rican terrorist group for decades. And uh, so I'm watching the news one day. Nine, uh, nine teachers from uh, all those high school were arrested today, all part of a plot to bomb the nation's capital. So I'll find a news report one day and play it for you guys. But, yeah, I like this guy, man, Dominique Robinson, um, the best defensive end in the draft. I don't know if that's true, Iceberg Slim, but could become, right? And maybe that's what you get good Out of Hutchinson, who's going to be a huge bust, Detroit, because primarily because he's going to wear Detroit colors. <laughs> I like giving it to Don Burr. Wait until Dominique's body <laughs> matures, says Nomad. Yeah, this kid is special, man. And he's one of those guys that um, I, I one of the things that he didn't talk about in his interview, and if he did, I missed it, was he needs to really devote himself to special teams because – 
if he becomes an outstanding special teams player, then he won't have to wait a year in the practice squad. He can be a backup defensive end, maybe the sixth or seventh in that eight-man rotation that they want for defensive linemen, and then also be a four-down uh, player on special teams. So I'm, I'm really, really hoping. And speaking speaking of uh, special teams, this is Hightower on what he looks for and traits for a special teams player. So uh, the one thing that I, I love – and I think we all love, and it's a team-wide deal. It's not just special teams, but a look for speed. All right, speed, explosiveness, um, how fast the guy is, and not necessarily how fast he times, how fast does he play football, you know. And then, obviously, when we get the pads on, we look for physicality. Is a guy physical? Uh, is he tough? Um, and really, if he loves football, and does he love it 24-7, or is it a guy that just loves it on game day? Outstanding. I, I love all these guys. I love the entire coaching staff that has spoken to the media. And we've gotten, uh, and then I haven't even heard the position coaches talk yet. And I really want to because they are described as great teachers. And I love talking to people who have that kind of academic approach to sports. Uh, you need you need coaches who who are smart and know how to articulate their lessons to players in a way that they can then convert that knowledge onto the playing field. And so I can't wait to hear those guys hear more of these players uh outstanding i won't play anymore i have dozens more but i won't i won't play anymore i just want to uh i just want everybody to know that we should all be hopeful we may not make the playoffs this season although dan is betting one of his uh 57 jerseys (laughs) (laughs) no i'm not guaranteeing anything i'm just i'm just trying to tell everyone i don't see us being as poor as everybody says. I'm with And you, like though. bottom five, God, who was it? Uh, that guy that used to be in Detroit that ran out the back of the end zone that's an analyst now oh, and had that safety, or- Orlovsky. Dan Orlovsky. Yeah, who's got all these opinions considering the guy was fucking terrible as a player. <laughs> but okay, he said that Justin Fields will be in the bottom five. I mean, how the fuck do you know that? And I, I, I repudiate that. I don't think that that's true. Thank you. I, I'm with you. Your hope level has it risen just a little bit listening to these guys? Just a little Yeah, very much. Oh, look at that. Damn, we got them. Yeah. <laughs> we got them. Like from a pessimist to not quite as much of a pessimist. Well, now we need like to get Zimmerman because he was saying it doesn't matter. This year doesn't matter. No, it always matters. Always it's like matters. they said uh, we, we, uh, we, we drafted the opposite of everything Nagy. We, we, we've hired and drafted everything opposite name. We, we've drafted kids that are smart and well-spoken and, and good characters, it looks like. And then uh, the, the coaches are all, you know, confident and, and uh, uh, you know, well-spoken as well. They have a good plan for everything. It seems like they know how to coach, which is a change from Maggie and company. But, uh, yeah, I'm it's really happy. The same to my ex-wife. She – uh, she's with a Republican who has a big giant beard, and I'm a left winger who clean is always clean shaven. So she got the exact opposite. And every time I'm like mentioned that, God, you married a fucking right wing or gonna marry a right winger or something, she's like, he's not that bad. <laughs> she's a liberal too. You know, so. That's funny. <laughs> but the point is, to Chucha's point about the Bears, I was making a joke, but it's true. She went for the complete opposite of me. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a good thing for her. So uh, hopefully it's a great thing for the Bears. Yeah, I hear you. 
All right, let's talk about the story that broke uh, today, earlier today on Tuesday, uh, Tariq Cohen uh, in the Players' Tribune. Those of you who don't know the playerstribune.com, it's basically a website where they publish stories written by athletes or coaches or agents, uh, but primarily players. And they get to share their thoughts. Uh, the first time I came across it was when Anthony Miller wrote a, uh, a, a story that was basically a plea to uh, NFL general manager saying, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm a hard worker. And I bought into it and I wish I would not have. <laughs> but I definitely bought into what Tariq Cohen wrote today, which was a story explaining the challenges he's gone through throughout his life and into his professional career. Um, Tooch, I know it made a big impact on you and Dan as well, but Tooch, uh, share your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I think a few shows back we had talked about how Tariq Cohen hadn't played in so long, mm-hmm. you know, and now, now we've, we've, we've figured out, you know, a, a lot of it wasn't just the injury. I mean, uh, he did have a gruesome injury. You know, he wrote about that, how it wasn't just an ACL tear. It was uh, he tore his MCL and he had a, a, an injury to his kneecap and patellar tendon, you know, so he hasn't been able to get on the field and then, just extreme tragedy in his family that, uh, yeah, really affected me. I mean, I, I was a big Tariq Cohn fan. I, I, I liked him uh, for the Bears to draft him. You know, I thought he could be kind of that punt return or third down back that they were missing, and then they picked him. And, uh, uh, you know, his, his tape, I had watched his tape. The, his highlight tape was called The Human Joystick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you remember back to that, and, uh, yeah. uh, just like this kid making great plays all over the field and stuff. And he came out and, you know, flashed for one season, you know, then his second season was the little teams figured out how, how to defend him. And then he signs a huge contract and is injured, I think, the second game of the season, Dan. Is that right? Uh, it may have been week three. I think he signed the contract week two and got hurt week right. three. Just horrible luck. You know, all around, uh, his two brothers, his his mom was a single mom who worked all the time. And then uh, his twin, he had a twin brother who I remember when the story broke, uh, his twin brother, you know, had, had crashed his car, was drunk driving, then got electrocuted climbing into some power station. I remember that story. Uh, you know, and then the, the youngest brother, uh, just tragic you know, uh, paralyzed from a, a gunshot wound to the head and then died, also died, died in a car accident, you know, three weeks after the article was written or two weeks after the article was written. It's just, uh, it, and the pieces are, 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 are together now of why we haven't seen the kid in a while. Maybe why the bears released him. I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it, it seems like, you know, the, the kind of things that the bears do, or at least under Ryan Pace, they would, you know, give players these, you know, uh, uh, keep them on the payroll, you know, for, uh, you know, sympathy reasons. I can't remember uh, the last example. I think it was, what was it? Uh, Zach Miller. Zach Miller, yep. Yeah, so a uh, uh, horrible story. Uh, wish the kid well. I could see him ending up in a place like New England or, or uh, uh, Tampa Bay where uh, New England especially remi- uh, reminds me he could carve out a role maybe like Dave Maggett. I don't know if you remember Dave Maggett, although uh, Dave. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, a little third it's down back who, yeah, a little third down back who just always seemed to get the first down. You know, he was a little guy. It was tough. 
You know, you're like, okay, it's third down. Watch Maggot coming out of the backfield, and he would get the you know first down, whether it was against the Bears or any other team. But or the Super him. Bowl against yeah against against Buffalo, he had a play, a third down play where he literally broke like five tackles. Yeah. And dove for the first down that sort of changed that entire game. Yeah, he could carve out a third Late down or a team like New England or uh, Tampa Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay is missing that kind. Of, they just have uh, uh, Leonard Fournette, you know, kind of who, you know, it's more. He's also their their primary runner, you know. Mm-hmm. But I could see a, a Tariq going in there and getting a, a third down back roll, be like a safety blanket for Brady or Mac Jones in New England. Dan, your thoughts, please. Well, I've said it on air before, and, and not knowing everything that it ha- had happened in, in Tariq's personal life, I, I'll say it again. I'm glad he got paid. Just like like he referenced that, yeah, you got your rookie contract, and you go from the negative, you go from the red in your, your, your checking account to, oh, I've got in excess of 600000 which, oh, my God, I'm rich. But he couldn't even afford to buy a house with that in Chicago. Exactly. But like he said, he gets the new contract, and now he's buying his mom a house. He's buying himself a house. And But by the next week, his whole life seems to be taken away from him in a cruel twist, ironic, you know, it, it just, it's not fair. And, and again, they didn't even throw a flag on that play. And uh, But at least he got paid. And the, and the Bears are a billion-dollar corporation, so I don't – feel bad for them having to pay him. I'm glad he got his money. And I wish him well in the future, unless he goes to Green Bay or you know Minnesota, then I'll have to root against him. Nothing personal. Let me address something in the in the chat column. Herney777 and Mo Bierman. Uh, but first it was Herney saying that, uh, where is it, um, that Tariq got paid, so he's not crying in his sleep about what's happened to Tariq. And I replied saying, Ernie, no amount of money can replace a deceased family member and see another one paralyzed. And then Ernie has replied, I'm not talking, I'm not saying anything about that, although I'm a football fan. I, I, I don't understand where you're coming from, Ernie. This is a guy, this is a human being. And he wrote a, a, a letter to himself when he was 17 years old to explain to him the hardships that yeah. he was going to encounter and how those hardships would affect his life. That fucking money doesn't mean shit when you lose a family member. Two family members. Exactly. Two family members. Excuse me. And so I don't understand the kind of uh, insensitive comment that you wrote there, Ernie 77. So I apologize if if I got it wrong, if I misunderstood the intention of your comment, but I just feel like, that's inappropriate to say when we're talking about a man who's lost family members and the millions of dollars that he has acquired since then, it doesn't mean shit. Does that mean we're not supposed to feel bad for Mongo? Exactly. Because Mongo won a Super Bowl and was a professional wrestler and had a beautiful wife and massive notoriety, but now can't move in his bed. How much does that money help him now? And Herney responds, I was talking about contracts. I'm not talking about his personal issues. All right, well, you didn't do a good job of ex- uh, of explaining that. We were talking about the personal letter that he wrote about 
those tribulations, those those heartbreaking events that happened in his life. You know? Maybe he was responding to what I was saying, that I was glad he got paid. Maybe, but I think that was uh, – he posted that before you said that, Dan. Oh, okay. Uh, so okay. Um, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, Ernie. You're, you're a good guy. You've been on here often. You're here often with when Mike North is on and so forth. So I appreciate your support and you being a part of the show. But I don't, you know, I, I when I, I posted something on Twitter today and uh, uh, retweeted the art, article and uh, said, you know, it wasn't fully unbeknownst to us was the wording uh, that I had that Tariq had all these challenges. And then, um, God, I'm forgetting his name, um, guy who used to be on here on here a lot. But he replied to say, well, I, you know, Bears fans knew all about this. Well, we, we knew about the incidences with his family, but we didn't know the mental toll it was taking on Tariq. You know, a lot of times we don't think about those things. We, we bypass that. We're focused on the football. We're focused on uh, it, it, uh, is he performing at a high level? Why is he running out of bounds? You know, those were criticisms that I leveled at Tariq. And I'm not saying he was running out of bounds because of the family problems that he had. Uh, well, j- just look at Robert Quinn. In 2020, going through a divorce has the worst year of his life and got his head on straight again. And look Perfect what happened example. in 21. Perfect example. And that's why, yep. you know, uh, and this is not a knock on Phil and Shane's operation. That's why I've always disagreed with the, the expression, the tape never lies. The tape always lies. You, you, The tape doesn't tell you what's going on in between here, in between the ears. It doesn't tell you what grief that that player is playing through. It doesn't tell you what pain that player might be playing through. It doesn't explain some of the things that you're seeing on tape that you're being critical of. But you don't know if perhaps maybe the guy was coached incorrectly. Perhaps it was somebody else on the offensive line who made a mistake. Perhaps it was somebody on the defensive backfield who made a mistake that made you look bad. And so that's why I've always had a problem with that particular wording. The tape does sometimes lie if you're going to rely on it for 100% accuracy on how to judge a player you've got to know more why do you think these play these scouts spend so much time talking to family members talking to coaches talking to friends about these particular players they want to know what's going on in their lives they want to know the makeup of those guys they want to know if they can overcome human adversity so that they can go out there and perform at a high level time after time after time the tape doesn't say that it, it doesn't. Sorry. That's something we ha- we we'd have to give some credit to Brett Favre for. You know, we I always shit on Favre for seemingly being a terrible human being and a guy I hated as a player. But you know what happened? The, what was it, the day after his dad died against the Raiders and he throws for like 470 yards on Monday Night Football. Yes. Sorry, I was reading something. <laughs> no, I was just saying Favre had an incredible game right after his dad it's died, a, which is incredible. Point. Erlacher. Erlacher played against the Saints for the Bears in 2011, two days after his mom died. Yep. Yeah. Great point that there are sometimes, you know, that human adversity can give you superpowers. And you go out there and perform like you've never be, be, performed before, even if you are a superstar. So that's a great point, Dan. The article was so well written, the letter by was. Tariq Cohen. You know, just the, the style – and uh, the storytelling of it made it, uh, you know, an extra uh, uh, emotional for me. You know, you're really inside the story. 
you know, this tragedy. So the, the, the way that he, uh, he wrote it, you know, it really came from a place deep inside. And I, I thought it was important to share, you know, and I hope everyone who didn't get a chance to read it, you know, gives it a read. And from a football standpoint, it was great to hear that he's finally feeling like he can plant that knee, plant uh, and play in the without thinking about the injury. So, you know, uh, pessimists, and I'm one, uh, or, or cynical people, and I'm one at times, could say maybe he's just making a plea t- to an NFL team to give him a look and so forth. Well, if that's the case, fine. He's, he's in, entitled to do that. But the rest of the story where he's talking about his, uh, his his dealings with all the adversity he faced with family members who made poor choices, that those those young men made poor choices, um, that, that uh, uh, but it impacts everybody around them, mother, father, really? brother, and so forth. Do you all think that the Bears, again, just look like – I always said that the Bears just – let Cutler's reputation go down the toilet in that championship game when they could have come out and said the dude's hurt, grade two tear of his ligament, and he can't stand. Like, they should have told Fox that immediately when they found out. And on this, you know, Tariq was talking about all the haters he had on Twitter, people saying he's lazy, complacent, and all that obviously bothered him. Well, if the Bears would have told us two years ago, it's not just a – you know, the ACL, he's got all this other shit going on too, then it would have probably changed everyone's perception of his comeback. Totally agree with that. Totally agree. You know, even even when the game is on, a football team has to play public relations, you know, and so when Cutler's there on the sideline, you know, I don't know who the sideline reporter was for that 2010 championship. Chris game. Myers, I think. Oh, my gosh. He's, he's awful. But nonetheless, yeah. uh, somebody, whoever was in charge of Bears Media at this time, should have made sure that Chris was reporting that. That at halftime, Cutler said he wanted to give it a go. He wanted to try. Uh, and and, and uh, he tried. He went out there for that first series. But it was clear that he couldn't put weight on it. And as the game would go on, it was just going to get worse and worse. And um, and they should have done even more so that when the Maurice Jones Drews of the world go on to social media and uh, call Cutler all sorts of names like a quitter and so forth. And there were other people, uh, members of the media who, who went on and, and, and threw all these aspersions at Cutler that he was basically quitting. He, he was intimidated by the defense, intimidated. And that damaged him. That fucking A, fucking a damaged him. And, and, and the guy to me is not, you know, he's, he's not, uh, 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 his, his medal. He doesn't have that medal to be a championship. He, 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 he wants to be a superstar. You know, he, he Cutler has always said, I want to throw that 60 yard down a pass downfield. I want, I, I want to be like Brett. I want to be a gunslinger and so forth. And he's got, he's surrounded by coaches who are trying to temper that. Don't fucking throw that fourth interception to D'Angelo. What are you, who are you trying to prove? What are you doing here? Uh, and, and so Cutler was of that mindset that, um, I don't know, you, you had to really corral him in and you had to support him with good PR. And ironically, Olin, Olin said he couldn't, his fucking entire leg was shaking. Yeah. And he couldn't stand up straight without his entire leg involuntarily shaking. He had nothing left. And that should have been conveyed to the world. And the same thing with Tariq Cohen here. If the Bears would have said, 
instead of being cryptic and vague and ambiguous, whatever synonym you want to throw out, they purposely did a disservice to this guy to make people think that, oh, well, he he's just taking his time and he doesn't want to get hurt. He's like doing uh, – uh, 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 fuck, what's uh, a Derek Rose kind of thing? He doesn't want to play, even though he's been cleared. He was overcoming so much more that we know now. If the Bears would have said that, I think he would have had so much more empathy from the fan base. Mm-hmm. I agree with uh, lots of people in the chat who are uh, standing up for Jay Cutler. And then there are people like Matthew Fuchizzi, uh who says, Sorry, but I hated Cutler. I don't blame you. I hated Cutler when he was a Bronco. I could tell he was a snob and he's petty, you know, had this stupid look on his face when, you know, he would throw an interception or a receiver ran a bad route. You know, I I wasn't jumping up and down when they traded for Cutler. I got to get used to the idea. And then when I went out to – was it before Bourbon A? When I went out to training camp and saw him throw the ball, I said to myself, holy fuck. Not even Jim McMahon could throw a ball like that. was the best quarterback I had seen with the Bears until then. Um, Bobby Douglas threw a ball farther than anyone else that I've ever seen, but Bobby Douglas also threw it 10 yards over the head of the right receivers. Cutler was throwing it on the mark 60, 75 yards, and I was like, okay. Uh, maybe I can put up with the pouting and all this shit. If this guy, if this guy, you know, uh, can bring us a title, and he he's did. much more closer to Rodgers than people ever attribute to Aaron. That's because great Aaron point. has that one Super Bowl. Like he's he's kind of of the same ilk, and Aaron gets no hate for it except for maybe bitter Bear fans like us. I I agree with that, uh, and I'm uh, reading PJ's uh, comment here truthfully. Even during adversity, you have to do your job. It's not fair and probably doesn't apply to football, but where I come from, we have to keep pressing onward, upward, and forward. I totally agree with you, PJ, but I think you will admit that it sometimes is harder to do that with some of the adversity uh, place. And, you know, kudos to those who who can, and I'm not going to condemn anybody who can't because, uh, you know, we're all different human beings. But I agree with you, even during adversity. I, in my professional career, I've had times where I, 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 you know, shit happened, really bad shit happened, losing someone I loved, d- divorce and, and all sorts of shit. And my employer was saying, hey, I really need you to cover this for me. You know, I don't trust anybody else. You're the guy. I did it. I didn't. I was fucking very well compensated for it, but I did it and I did it to the best of my abilities. And so I, I know that at least from my scale of, of life, you know, uh, uh, I n- never had to perform in front of 65,000 people and millions watching on TV. That's a different And story. a guy that's getting not, you're not getting a shit knocked out of you like uh, Cohen <laughs> no, could. No. Emotionally, I was getting. Or returning a kick. <laughs> yeah. Emotionally, I was getting the shit knocked out of me, but uh, not physically. That is true. <laughs> But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just I just wish that, you know, all of us withhold our criticism of athletes a little because sometimes they're going through stuff that we don't know. Um, you know, the thing uh, we should have mentioned earlier, the ultimate is I brought up Brett Favre playing when his dad died. Mm-hmm. When Buster Douglas beat Tyson, his mom had just died. Oh, I did not know that. Or maybe I forgot it. Holy yeah. shit. That's a great example. 
Holy shit, man. I remember coming home from work. I was working uh, weekend news, finished my news story, got home around, I don't know, 9.30, and the fight was on. And my wife at the time saying, yeah, uh, Tyson's getting his ass kicked. And I go, ah, don't worry, he'll kick his ass by the, by the end of this thing. <laughs> so I'm watching round after round go by, and I'm like, holy shit, he really is getting his ass kicked. <laughs> Do you buy into the pro-Tyson argument at the time that Douglas was down more than 10 seconds earlier in the fight? Yes, I do. do yeah, it looked like he did get knocked out and they didn't count it. Yep, I do. You know, it's unfortunate that that happened, but you know what? Douglas still was the better fighter that night, but you're right. And then Evander just tore him up in three rounds. Yeah. First fight. Yep. Back, back to reality. <laughs> exactly. Remember that song, Back to Life, Back to Reality? Soul yeah. to Soul? Yes, indeed. We were talking before we went live about, uh, this was mainly Tooch and, and, and Dan, about what's happened to heavyweight boxing, man. There's just nothing worth the, what, $85 they're asking for to watch a, 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 a pay-per-view boxing match. There's just nothing, nobody out there that we really are rooting for. I don't know if we've got any boxing fans in the chat, but but correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, to me, it's become an elitist sport. You have to be such a dedicated boxing fan to lay out that kind of money. I love the game of boxing. I I, I would rather lay out money to go see uh, a, a – a, a replay of Ali Foreman, any one of those th two, no, they had one fight. Joe Frazier and Ali had three fights. Any one of those fights, then then what's going on in today's uh, heavyweight division? It's changed so. I don't know who to root for, or like there's no stories, there's no marketing. HBO, for example, doesn't even have Jim Lampley. Like they don't even have fights, and Lampley was the best boxing play by play guy in the business. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he doesn't even call fights now uh, unless he's gotten another gig that I'm not aware of. But the last heavyweight fight that I was like super psyched up to order was Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson. And that was 20 years ago. Now, I was excited for Lennox Lewis and Vitaly Klitschko, but that was on HBO Live. I didn't have to pay any money for it because a lot of people didn't know the Klitschko brothers. And, mm -hmm. and they were they were badasses, man. They were smart and could fight. Uh, but but uh, Vladimir kind of got a lot of hate from people because he was sort of like Mayweather in the sense that he was a student and was okay by racking up points and winning and playing defense versus trying to knock you out. He was boxing you, not fighting you. So yeah. a lot of times people didn't give him the respect that he should have gotten. Right. But the point is that the, the super heavyweight in the nineties, eighties and seventies, you had four or five fighters that you could point to as being just great you know, in any era, you know, like from my youth, it would have been, you know, Tyson or Riddick Bowe or Evander Holyfield, uh, Lennox Lewis. I mean, and you don't have anything like that now. Right. And I think you just responded to the comment that's been up on the screen here for the last 60 seconds. Stephen Mee from across the pond says Tyson Fury was entertaining, but Americans only care about American champions. And while there is some truth to that, Stephen, but, I love the Klitschko's, though. Yeah, they weren't American. Yeah, uh, Dan just explained how much he loved the Klitschko's. I loved watching them, too, but it was always, you know, weird. Uh, how, where are they? What what channel are they? Do I got to pay? And then yeah. um, uh, more recently, um, who was I thinking of? Oh, uh, not more recently, but Lennox Lewis. He was not an it American. He was British, yeah. Yeah, uh, Frank Bruno. He was not an American. I, I wanted him to kick 
uh, who was he fighting? Tyson at the time? I wanted him to kick Tyson's ass. I was tired of Tyson, but I, at least I was hoping for a better fight than, than he got. Tyson beat the shit out of him, I think, in 30 seconds. So, uh, you know, I uh, I think uh, for the most part, Stephen, yeah, I'm, Americans are very, uh, you know, how what's the word discriminatory to, about their sports heroes they want americans to win first and foremost but i i've i found tyson fury to be a very compelling guy to watch i i've always watched the replays because i won't again uh pay the pay-per-view money but who after wilder who's he's beaten out two out of three times who is there for tyson fury to fight i don't know uh Maybe there are some good guys, but it's it's certainly not getting the the coverage, right, Tooch? Mute. Mute. Mute yeah. is your friend. No, I can't think of anybody other than the uh, heavyweights. There just aren't that many, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and, um, and to add to your point with the Klitschko's, like I said, the problem with them, and I understand why they were doing it, they would be fighting in this huge arena in Germany. Mm-hmm. That sold out and would ma- were making far more money there than they would have here. But right. on the flip side of that, because of the time difference and such, it was hard for us to even watch it live. Exactly. It would typically be at like two thirty p.m. on on like Fox Sports Net or some shit. You know, it was easy. It wasn't hard to. I mean, it wasn't uh, easy to to access here, and it wasn't marketed here, which is unfortunate because both of those guys. Uh, just their story alone should be compelling enough to have people want to watch, you know? Yeah. I'll ask Steven this question. Uh, what? How does he feel about today's heavyweight division in pro boxing as compared to what it was? Because uh, clearly you, you don't think it's, that it's as good as it was years ago. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I, I haven't been following the fight game as closely over the last 10, 15 years because I've seen, you know, other, you know, I, I actually watch much more MMA and uh, uh, what's the other one? Um, I, I watch more of hand fighting and, and, and that sport than I do. I can't get boxing. into UFC. So if UFC, that's what you're talking about. That's what exactly what I was talking about. I can't get into UFC. Why not? Sorry. Why not? I mean, there's always a moment where there's a big fight, you know, like if you're in a bar or something, it's on and people, you might have a good fight, but the rest of the pay-per-view is just guys laying down in each other's arms and shit, you know, yeah. like in a, in a hold, like a rest hold. I, I just, I don't know. I, I love boxing. Way, I think boxing is superior, but UFC is so much better marketed. Mm-hmm. So because of their exposure and their, it's easy to find. And, you know, I think that that's why they're so much more successful, but in terms of purely watching the sport, I would much rather watch boxing. Mm-hmm. But like you said, the older fights are the ones that I would tend to go back and watch. Yeah. A Duran or a, a Marvin Hagler, even though they're not heavyweights per se, but just the fights are so great. If you want to look at heavyweights, and like I said, even in the 70s, you had Ali, you had Frazier, you had Foreman, you have Ken Norton Sr. You have superior heavyweights all around. And then you go to Larry Holmes was right after that. Then you got Tyson coming up. It's just like a constant turning, Evander, and then and but all that stopped in the two thousands. Why? You know the fighters didn't stop getting trained. Yeah. Jordan says, uh, Jordan Severia, the reason Dan is because UFC sets up the fights you want to see, not this crap boxing sets up. Well, that's yeah. been part of the other I- issue with uh, boxing. It's so fucking corrupt. 
that that's yeah. turned us off too. You know, uh, yeah, that's a good point. You don't feel good about laying a bet. You feel like you're always going to be uh, disappointed if it goes to the cards. Um, you know, it's it's been a corrupt sport since forever. Two fights I can think of right now that the one fighter was blatantly cheated. I mean, obviously cheated. It was Ken Norton versus Ali mm-hmm. in yep. uh, Yankee Stadium, the third fight. Like, yep. even Ali said he lost. Yep. And they gave that to him unanimously to the point Ken Norton is crying after the fight because he was so jobbed. And Marvin Hagler was fucking absolutely cheated in the Sugar Ray Leonard fight. There's no way Sugar Ray Leonard – I mean, Ray Leonard won like four rounds in that fight, and they took the belt from Hagler. Yeah. Because they love Sugar Ray, they being the media, the boxing world, and Marvin was somebody they they couldn't market, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because he was a badass motherfucker. Yeah, renewable and rechargeable review. The yeah. top, yeah, the top. Back yeah, to WBC the is Tyson Fury. WBA is Alexander Usyk. Oh, who's that? <laughs> so. uh, That's another cool thing with Tyson. He had all those belts together. Yeah. He had, those, he had them all unified. That's how bad he was. Mm-hmm. Ask that guy on the plane if Tyson can still throw. <laughs> Beat the shit out of him. That was another topic that I really wanted to talk about. But from the standpoint of should we give leeway to people who are being heckled and then get their ass kicked? You know, like, for instance, I, I wasn't there, so I don't know for sure what this guy was saying, but from the little video and reports uh, that I've seen and read, this guy was being a super-ass nuisance for a long time on that plane. And Tyson took a picture with him and, and, and like, was so outgoing. He took a selfie with him, and the guy wouldn't leave him alone. Exactly. So, Like Alex Brown in the uh, skybox, although – yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Bears, former Bears defensive end uh, at Soldier Field. We had rented a fan. Uh, we couldn't a get rid of him. No, football draft. My goodness, he. he we I love up, Alex. <laughs> yeah, he's great. We showed up at 11 a.m. and he uh, came over to greet us at about yeah. that time. And he yeah. already had a drink in his hand, and it looked like it was not his first. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I'm saying is, you know, if somebody is being pestered to that degree. I, I don't think there should be criminal charges even contemplated against Mike Tyson. We just give him a pat on the back and say, listen, we're glad that you beat the shit out of him. You didn't leave any lasting injuries. Uh, he, he's he's going to be able to walk and talk, uh, unfortunately, talk uh, uh, without any impairment. So you're free to go. Goodbye. And, and Tyson hasn't faced any charges and will not face any charges according to a report today. But I think that should be the case all around. What do you think guys think? Somebody's fucking with you, talking about you or your girl or something like that. Beat the shit out of him and don't worry about repercussions. But I don't know if I want to make that standard, although in theory I agree with you. But like Conor McGregor's got this this rep of like just if someone just tries to take a picture of him, he's ready to attack them. Mm -hmm. Or grabs their phone and makes it shit like that. So I mean, where's the line? Yeah. He could say, I'm being heckled. And then he physically assaults someone probably for nothing, like 30 seconds in versus Tyson from all reports was like this guy was bothering him for almost an hour before he lost his shit on him. Yeah, People forget where they are when they get on airplanes and stuff. It's not your house. You know, you get you just saw the uh, was it the, the guy breaks out the guitar of the church group on the plane. The, the yes. viral video. It's like, come on, man. 
I'm on a flight. I don't want to hear uh, hear uh, kumbaya on my flight. I want to sleep or read my damn book. You know, or, or you ever you ever be on a you ever get on a plane and like someone like in front of you or behind you, they take off their shoes and their socks. So you have to fucking oh, see their God. feet and smell their damn fucking feet. You know, it's like you know, it's like you're not you're not at home on your couch. You know, I've leave your that. shoes. It's, they'll put their they'll put their bare feet up on the back around the side of your seat. You know, it's just like people oh, forget where they are on the airplane. I don't know what it is. I'll never forget. I was on an international flight and I had an aisle seat and about two rows, maybe three, two rows in front of me. There was a woman reading Penthouse Forum. I think it was Penthouse Forum. They, they would be. Digits? <laughs> I, I, it was the magazine that would have stories shared by supposedly real life people and then they would visualize them with pornographic pictures so i noticed that she was reading this and she wasn't making any attempt whatsoever to hide the fact that she was reading this pornographic magazine on the plane so i'm trying to think well how do i get over there and, and introduce myself <laughs> Or say, hey, what are you reading? <laughs> I never did it, but are you interested in becoming a Mile High member? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never got to, to get close to her to, to bring up a conversation, but I do remember having a semi erection for a seven hour flight. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is Dan uh, a member of the Mile High Club? Yes, of course. I've like never flown. Uh, oh, that's my right. First, I, uh, my oh, first flight right. next Wednesday. <laughs> are you going to be a member of the Man. Next if you if you oh, become no. a member on your first flight i will be really fucking impressed yes <laughs> no there'll be i'm not trying to go to jail for some reason you know there was a story a couple weeks ago where this guy kept beating his cock over and over he masturbated like four or five times <laughs> on and the plane? he said that the woman beside him gave him permission in the story oh. i mean even if she did which she didn't but it was probably just for once you know like <laughs> this guy just continually masturbated did you see that story i did not i did yeah not. he got it i think he's facing felony charges now felony on a plane uh is that yeah he just kept beating off over and over and over wow <laughs> oh, that would make a uh, he would make an interesting guest on this show. The way this would be horrible though if you were like in the same aisle or row and oh, like fuck. just adjacent to you, some guys just got his fucking cock out. Yeah, no, that ain't gonna happen. I would well, that'd be terrible though. Politely God. say, put your cock away and go wash your hands, and then if that's worse than it. the guy's feet that John was talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got a half hour here before Dan Aguirre goes to save some lives. I want to talk about Winning Time, the season finale, episode 10 of the 10-part series about the Los Angeles Lakers Showtime era. That first year, Magic Johnson was drafted by the team. That's where the series begins. Actually, begins with news of Irvin being told he has HIV, but we didn't see any or hear any more of that throughout the season. It was about that rookie season. I want to know what you guys thought. John is giving it a thumbs up. He's shaking his head up and down. So you go first, brother. Yeah, it was great. I, I, uh, I mean, Dan will probably he knows the the true history and stuff, but I, I enjoyed it, man. The the the, the dramatization of, of I love the drama in this show. You know, mm -hmm. I know I know, like Dan says, it's not real, but uh, it's still a good story. 
You know, I love the uh, the characters and whatnot. And I know it's fake and stuff, but uh, I still I still enjoyed the last episode. The, you know, the the winning uh, versus Doctor J and Kareem's injury and you know magic. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask Dan though. Uh, Kareem, uh, the, the scene where you know after he was injured, he couldn't play in the series anymore. His uh, his partner, she said, uh, they're giving you the MVP. They're going to call you on the phone. I thought magic would be like, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, take, accept this for, for Kareem. But did, uh, in the show, did that really happen? Did, did magic just kind of say, well, Kareem, you know, I'm going to take the MVP now. Is that what happened? Although, uh, Dan, Go ahead, Dan. I don't know the answer to that. I do. Okay. Because <laughs> it, it looked uh, like magic stiffed Kareem and took the, yeah. took the award. It was pretty close to that. Uh, I mean, immediately after the game, or excuse me, um, yeah, immediately after the game, it was put on uh, CBS Chiron. I actually went to YouTube and watched the last 10, 15 minutes of that championship game against the Sixers, game six. Uh, so as soon as the game was over and, and Magic starts hugging players, it's there's a Chiron on the screen with Magic's stats and – uh, the play-by-play announcer, who was it on that? Brett Musburger announcing yeah, Brent. that uh, he won the MVP. Was there a meeting in the hallway with David Stern? I do not know that. I didn't find any confirmation of that. But the words that Magic used were almost verbatim what was said uh, uh, in the real locker room interview that he had with none other than Hot Rod Hundley, who was left off the series, but he was Brent Musburger's uh, play-by-play analyst. Uh, from West Virginia. From West Virginia. He and Dave, uh, Bill Russell. Bill Russell was included in the show, and, and, and the actor was trying to get that Bill Russell laugh out. <laughs> Didn't quite nail it. Uh, but, yeah, uh, for the most part, I would give it like a, a one Pinocchio, if we're going to use the Washington Post truth meter <laughs> It was a little bit of a lie, but not entirely. <laughs> So what else did you think, guys? Go ahead, Dan. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I always heard that Kareem was going to play in Game 7. Of course, we'll never know uh, if that was possible. Uh, had Philly uh, actually won Game 6, a couple of things, and this is nitpicking, the trophy that they had looked really raggedy. It's like, that doesn't look like the NBA Finals trophy, the the winner there. I would be interested to find out it wasn't. If, if the commissioner wasn't there. That is true. And like, you know, because they just assumed I thought the show did a poor job as well of showing magic in that game. Um, You know, magic went over 40 and it was on obviously was scoring points and he was playing the five. I mean, he was scoring down low. So it kind of, I mean, they did, you know, it was dramatic. They show he was tired and all that, but they kind of just didn't show him eating the Sixers up, which is what he was doing. And I've seen that game many times, but not in a while. Uh, obviously, you're going to make it more dramatic for the show, but I was going to say, I don't think it was really ever that close or in doubt by the second half. It seems like Magic and, and the Lakers kind of ran away with game six. They did come to within three points. Again, I, I, I saw the the actual game on YouTube, but it's still, you're right, Dan, it was never really in question, despite the fact that the, the uh, Sixers made that late run. It was obvious that they were tiring out. And that whole dramatic thing about Magic being too tired and, and going through this 
crisis, you know, can I finish and so forth. That was all bullshit. That was all made up. That was all made up for drama. Unfortunately, the script writers and TV producers of the show didn't have much drama to deal with. And I, but I do think that part of it was their fault. You know, all of the season, they built up this bird magic rivalry. And which, those guys were friends. And, and they were friends, and it wasn't <laughs> nearly as hostile. And Larry Bird wasn't nearly the, the serial killer looking like guy that he was. He wasn't an asshole to people either. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and so if they were to have taken dramatic license, I mean, clearly we know why they were taking dramatic license, right? White versus black, black versus white. But what should have what should have uh, helped them in this final episode, because I did feel like there was a, a little bit of a letdown, was that whole magic Dr. J uh, thing. He was wrestling. Magic was wrestling away the, the mantle of the best uh, creative player in basketball. Dr. J was a, a magician. He was he was operating on people with that basketball, with electrifying dunks and, and, and beautiful looking layups and so forth. Magic obliterated him, obliterated him. That should have been where the drama came from in that last episode about that championship game. But they instead chose to look forward to what future seasons of the series is going to offer, which is the bird versus magic rivalry. And that I'm and sure you're still years away from that. Boston's going to beat Houston in 81. Mm-hmm. The Lakers beat Philly in 82. They lose to Philly in 83. And then 84, they finally collide. Mm-hmm. So you're still years away from that. Are you going to skip ahead in time? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that there's no way to do it without to do the show justice and uh, what it wants to accomplish if they don't jump years ahead. Because you know who who the hell wants to watch a series where they're you know they're getting eliminated in the playoffs in the semifinals. And another thing was the Kareem thing at the end by. You know, calming down uh, Haywood, Spencer Haywood, who, according to the show, was close to suicide. Right. And Kareem made him look at a picture of his daughter and all that. That's good writing, Mm -hmm. but I I bet you that didn't happen. It it didn't happen like that. There was a meeting between Jabbar and uh, Spencer Haywood, I think, weeks after the NBA title, and they talked about his life and how he needed to get his shit together because of his kid and so forth. Yeah. The way it was presented in the show was totally dramatized and you know, it is what it is at this point. The only thing (laughs) by the end of the show, the only thing real was the logo of the Lakers and the, and the, and the names were were real names. They didn't make up any names. (laughs) Are you surprised that the trophy looks so fake? Well, the, uh, apparently, to, due to copyright issues, they could not make the NBA trophy a replica of the real Larry O'Brien trophy. Why is that if you can use the team's logos and old uniforms and have the right ones? Yeah, I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't know. Um, like when they question. were showing the Suns get eliminated in the playoffs, they were wearing their correct uniforms of that era. Mm-hmm. And Seattle, and I mean, that's what I'm saying. But if you can do everything right and then have that raggedy ass trophy mm-hmm. that looked like something they bought in a store, <laughs> Magic was a motherfucker at a certain point of his career, and I mean that <laughs> literally. Says no man. 
<laughs> Can you imagine the players' reactions who were hitting Magic's leftovers after the diagnosis? <laughs> well, AC Green wasn't one of them. <laughs> That's right. AC Green. Uh, what's the story? He he was celibate. He famously said in the, on Oprah in the '90s that he was still a virgin. That's right. Can you imagine yeah. being an NBA player and choosing to be a virgin? Come on. Oh, man, not to be a downer here, and I'm not going to say your name because this is an embarrassing thing, but a lady that I went to high school with uh, well, uh, died this week. Oh, no. And I didn't know her well in school. I knew who she was, you know. But she she worked nights, too, so I talked to her you know, frequently on Facebook Messenger because she's at work, I'm at work. And she confessed to me like a year ago that she was a virgin. So chances are she died a virgin. That, I just that that's worse than just dying. I think in some ways it's horrible. I feel so bad for her and her and her family. Uh, the story I was told was that she didn't feel well and just had no idea she was sick or anything, and just was like, "Man, I'm in a lot of pain." And went to the doctor, and they said she was like riddled with tumors. So you just never know, man. That's awful, man. I, uh, yeah, but she died more than likely. She told me last year she was a virgin. You should have volunteered for service. No, no, no. <laughs> just kidding. I apologize. No, 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 no. I, I'm not offended at all, but I just, like, I felt really bad for her in that regard uh, before, when she was alive, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone, like, dying now. Like, God damn, man. But, yeah, AC Green had the same thing. Like, he just, I don't remember why he abstained, but he did. I think he was a member of the Suns when he confessed that, it seems like. I believe he was. Uh, PJ says A.C. Green was a good man. Yeah, by all accounts, he was an outstanding human being. But I I, I don't understand. Well, I I mean, I do understand why he would choose to be celibate and save himself from marriage and so forth. I understand that. But I I, I don't understand why he wasn't married yet then. How about that? Yeah. You know, I I, I just the the incredible temptations one faces. I know that I couldn't do it. Even if no. I was married, <laughs> just kidding, my just kidding, my wife, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but the incredible temptations that these guys go to—I mean, we've all heard the stories. You know, the women are all waiting at the hotel; they're following you everywhere. They're getting messages to you. They're t- telling the ball boy, "Give him my phone number and stuff." I mean, it's incredible temptation and. AC was a good-looking guy. You know, um, he had the Jerry Curl look going on. It was very, Walter Payton Curl. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't know how you can, can you know, say no to that. Uh, nowadays, yes, I, I say no to it because I'm just too tired all the time. <laughs> Plus, you don't want to be on TMZ. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, we, this guy's fucking all the rats, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Did they say there'll be a second season? Of uh, winning, yeah, it's been renewed. It's okay. renewed. So it's going to be. Int- I, I'm sure what they're doing now is just starting to write the scripts. Uh, they may have had an outline before that they showed to HBO and said, "This is what we're planning." If you bring this back, uh, so that's probably all been done, and now it's about writing and, and getting everybody in front of the cameras, and hopefully four or five months. Well, two more points for you. Yes, sir. A, I read online, not knowing if it's exactly true but it was in one of those reviews of the episode, you know, mm-hmm. that said the genie bus wasn't tied to the Lakers at all until the early nineties, other than the fact her dad was the owner. That. She definitely wasn't involved in 79, 80, the way the show would have indicated. And secondly, we can't just assume that it's going to be back. Cause they had a show circa 2016 that I really dug called vinyl mm-hmm. where this guy, uh, 
you know, was uh, running a record label in the early 70s, and he has a meltdown because he hates the current pop music at the time and wants to sign artists that he really likes and believes in instead of what will make money. And it was co-produced by, like, Mick Jagger, and, and it got renewed after one season, and HBO switched CEOs after that, and then they canceled it. Wow, I, I was not aware of that. Have you ever seen vinyl? Did you watch it? No, I heard about it. Wanted to see it. Uh, I think I saw the first episode. I thought it was great. Yeah, it was good shit. It's it's ten episodes. If you have time, that's one to go back and watch again. It's it's good shit, man. Mm. By the way, Stephen, me, our uh, resident uh, guy across the pond, says that he thinks that uh, AC Green came out as being gay, and so I'm looking. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I'm looking yeah. it up and seeing if there's a uh, truth to that. Uh, if, if, in, in that era, I can understand why a man, if he happened to be gay, mm -hmm. would want to be celibate because of all. The, no one knew exactly the implications of how you could catch AIDS and stuff at the time. Mm -hmm. And you see everybody dying. So I can understand why, you know, 86, 7, that he's like, fuck that. I don't want that. Because mm -hmm. at the time, people thought you could catch AIDS just by using the same water fountain. Yeah. I don't think that there's a uh, credible source that we can say he's gray, uh, gay, excuse me. Uh, I mean, are you going to listen to Therese Owens? He's the famous uh, gay uh, celebrity columnist. Oh, you mean Perez Hilton? That's who I mean, I guess. But that's that's the type of stuff that I'm I'm seeing. So, um, PJ saying uh, A A A C Green is married to a woman, I believe. So yeah, I, I I'm gonna st stick. Either with way, that. man, he was a virgin for a long time. He was. I don't care where he busted his nut, if it's a man <laughs> or a woman. Yeah, me I wish either. him well. <laughs> me neither. Absolutely. Yeah. All yeah. right. Um, last 15 minutes left. Any special topics you guys want to address, uh, Tooch? Well, I just want to say, if Butterflies haven't seen Winning Time yet, you really should check it out. Because, I mean, it seems like every minute of the show is, like, packed with some kind of little moment or uh, uh, funny, you know, or, or interesting uh, tidbit. I mean, I, I was thinking back to this last episode where uh, the NBA uh, managed the, the league uh, representatives and managers of the league were totally unprepared in case the Lakers won the championship that night. They didn't even have a quarter to make a phone call. You know, it was like to call and say, hey, we need a trophy down here to present it in case the Lakers win. You know, mm -hmm. I thought that was great how casually the league was run. That's how, you know, it hadn't – man, it, it was an infant learning to crawl. Mm -hmm. so. You know something else that's untrue about Good that? Uh, like to add to game six – they, everyone couldn't have been watching that live. It was shown on tape delay. Well, uh, there were six markets where it was uh, live. In Philadelphia, Los Angeles, and four other markets. I don't remember th which uh, which ones they were, but certainly not here in Chicago. I was fucking pissed off. I think I told this story before. My brother was a big, big... Uh, yeah, he liked all the Pennsylvania teams for some reason. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's a big Sixers fan and loved... Uh, uh, <laughs> Loved uh, Julius Irving, and a week afterwards, the uh, Lakers won the title. There's this picture of Magic Johnson holding the NBA tro the trophy uh, with a big smile on his face. And so I cut off the cover and I taped it to the ceiling of my brother's bedroom. So, and this is while he's sleeping. And so when he woke up, that's what he saw. 
<laughs> I, hear, I hear him from his bedroom saying, you motherfucker. <laughs> uh, imagine if, like, after the 2010 championship, you look up and you see Aaron Rodgers with the Hallis Trophy. Ooh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love the actor that plays Magic Johnson in this. I think he's really good. He was good. phenomenal, man. Yeah. The Kareem actor was good. And him Kareem too. Was I, good I, too. Yep. Who was bad? Who was a bad actor in this? I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Yeah, the cast uh, was fantastic. Yeah. I do feel a little... Brent Musburger was bad. <laughs> yeah, that, Brent Musburger is, was awful. That is true. Yeah. And it wasn't so much because of how he looked, although there was a little bit of a resemblance. If you go back and watch that tape that I saw of, of that game... Just season, the hair. That's it. Yeah. But the, the, the biggest error was is that he didn't enunciate the way Brent Musburger he didn't did. even try he didn't even say you're you're looking live he didn't, right. even, say he didn't that. even try that which is a sin a sin yeah. if you're gonna do Brent Musburger you've got to draw out some of these words man I, that disappointed me <laughs> yeah exactly man I thought that uh, the Richard Pryor was was shitty as well mm-hmm. but overwhelmingly like you said most of the guys seem to do well I would like to know I don't know if anyone's even even asked about this uh, in any of these reviews, if Paul Westhead really was reading Shakespeare to them, or if that was just some other shit that they made up. No, that is true. I read that that was true. Now, whether he chose to quote Shakespeare before at halftime of, of the game six of the NBA finals, I don't know if that's true. I, I kind of doubt it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if he'd have been so weak that he needed Pat to like smack him in the face and stuff like that. But I'll tell you what, Pat Riley looked like uh, the actor. Uh, what's his name again? Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody. I mean, when he had the long hair uh, that wasn't slipped back, slipped back, slicked back, and the glasses. I mean, if you go back and look at a picture of that, you will say, "Oh, wow, there is a great similarity there." And so, I'm dying to know when was it that Riley transformed himself into the Pat Riley with the yeah. When did he hair? slick his hair back? Probably when he became the head coach. Probably. I'll, I'll have to do some research on that. But uh, uh, <laughs> Laz says that they make Chick Hearn look like an asshole. Well, apparently that, though, is true. According to uh, David Schuster, who we used to do a show together here, he tells me a story of he would do stats for Chick Hearn, and then he would do stats. Oh, God, who was the other announcer? Um, I think Phoenix Suns. Does the Phoenix Suns have a notable – announcer from that era anyway they had a feud going on a chick hearn and this uh this other announcer and they would go back and forth and and according to schuster chick hearn was really an asshole uh just treated people like like dirt shit so i i I believe it that that whole the way the series made him look is probably (laughs) he was probably worthy of that um, all right, uh, 10 minutes. You guys want to talk about anything special outside of NFL schedule coming out on Thursday? There finally, you there you go. That NFL schedule, I am so looking forward to this. Uh, Adam Rank, uh, who I really enjoy his work, he said, I hope that the Bears play the Lions every season. This season, I hope not. I hope to have a traditional schedule. I hope that I would love to see a schedule like last year, one game at home, one game on the road uh, for the 17 weeks. But most well, of all, let me all, interrupt you. Did you mean Adam Rank said he didn't want the Bears to play on Thanksgiving? Is that what you meant to say? No, Rank wants the Bears and Lions to play every Thanksgiving. And my reply to him was, I disagree, at least not this season with so many young players. I'd like to see their schedule 
not disrupted by midweek games. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I don't want them on Thanksgiving yeah, this year either. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and fuck it. I would like to have a Thanksgiving where I don't have to work. <laughs> so, or if there was a Thanksgiving game like, you know, in 04, we went to Dallas. Yeah. You know, it'd be, it'd be good to have something different or maybe that night game, you know. Just, I'm with you. I'm why does it have you. to be that 12, 30, 11, 30 central start with Detroit? You know? I'm tired of being the Lions on Thanksgiving. What the fuck? Uh, <laughs> no, but. Um, Did I, I told you I met a girl. Uh, that's from Detroit that lives in West Virginia. So I asked her, uh, are you a Lions fan, you know? And she's like, no, every year, and this is to Don Burr, but this is true. I'm not making this up. Uh, she goes, our family would always turn the Lions game on Thanksgiving and would just be immensely disappointed. And every year they would just make us less and less of a Lions fan. She's like, I'm so into Michigan. I love Michigan. She says she loves Jim Harbaugh. But she couldn't give a fuck about the Lions. Wow. And her whole family is apathetic about the Lions. And they all still live in Detroit and don't give a fuck. Well, she sounds like a really smart woman. She sounds, <laughs> she sounds like a keeper, Dan. I was I was surprised though, you know. I mean, I mean, there's not nothing to keep. We were just talking, you no, know. Uh, but she was telling me about uh being from Detroit. So I assumed she was I was like, Well, you know, I'm a Bears fan and I expected it to have a resonance with her and like make her think like ah okay fuck this guy but it didn't react she didn't react at all so I was like wait a minute are, are you a Lions fan being from Detroit I assumed you would be and she wasn't so hmm. according to Jordan the uh, rumor mill is saying that the Lions will play in Chicago on Fox Week One what do you think about that uh, we opened up in '04 Lovey's first game was against the Lions. That's that's a game where Edinger had a field goal blocked and taken back for a touchdown. Yeah, don't remind me. Jeez. But I, I like the idea game. of facing off with the Lions week one, even if it's even if it were in Detroit. Uh, here's a team that we've played very well against. Here's a team whose coach is questionable and Dan Campbell. Here's a team that's got a lot of young players, so it might take them a while to mesh. So you could say the same thing about the Bears, of course. Uh, and the Lions, I do believe have more talent in their roster than the bears at several positions but uh the lions have a lot of weaknesses too i mean they have no depth at offensive line their uh rushing attack is still suspect their defensive backs are still suspect so uh that could be a, a game that's perfect for the chicago bears to steal week one uh i wish we could go to minnesota week one i'm so tired of having to play that vikings game in week 17 or 18 every fucking season like they never come to chicago when it's snowing mm -hmm. like they, i'd like to see minnesota come to soldier field at the end of the season as opposed to us always going up there do they play any uh at any warm weather sites this year on the road because that that's what i would like to see late in the season i like to see them play in tampa bay or in la but i don't think they play any of those divisions this year no they're in the, the afc south AFC South. Okay. No, no, AFC. I'm sorry, the AFC East. Uh, okay. The the only Buffalo South Bills. game they have is that Texan game because of the the unbalanced schedule. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they play the East, and so you're not going to get any uh, you know warm weather games out of that unless you would have to go to Miami. Remember, like we did it last time. Although Miami comes to Chicago this time, but you remember the last game we went to Miami was Nagy's uh, first year mm -hmm. when Mitch went down there and it was so hot they ended up losing. So, Dan, out of memory, or do you have it in front of you, uh, who the Bears are hosting uh, this year? 
Oh, uh, well, let me think. Well, you're going to have Green Bay, Detroit, Minnesota right off. They got the Texans. But again, you have one extra home game this year, whereas last year you had one extra road game. Right. So right. that's four. Uh, let's see. They got the NFC East. So uh, I think again. Oh, they me, go to Washington this time. Let me look it up. Right? Because I'd love to know what games you and Tooch might be in town for. Just wishing, you know. Uh, home opponents, 2022. I hope if I hit the keys correctly. Um, all right. So, at home, Lions, Packers, Vikings, Eagles. Uh, what's the new Washington football team's name? The Commanders or something? Commanders are coming into town. The Bills, ooh, the Dolphins, the Texans, and the 49ers. Hmm. I'm hoping for that Texan game. You're hoping for the Texans game with Lovey Smith, of course. Tooch, That'd be any, fun. Any of those games you want to uh, target? Washington, yeah, Texans, 49ers, Eagles? I'd like to see Lovey come back too, like Dan. You know, uh, I think that'd be a good one. Uh, I mean, at least it should be competitive. You know, I mean, both teams are kind of rebuilding. Or a Lions game, so we can gloat. Uh, we saw we were, Detroit last year, though. We were okay. You guys already went to Detroit, but no. But I, I, I mean, well, the Green we, Bay game is going to be the most expensive to go to for yeah. sure. Maybe Buffalo because they're expected to contend for the AFC Championship. But uh, you know, more than likely, the Green Bay game is probably the most expensive, and it's where we always get our ass kicked. So I'm afraid to fly into town for that fucking shit. Mm. And um, I'm like Jerry West on winning time. I can't watch. <laughs> like, you got a one-game winning streak, Dan. Dan's been to how many games, and, and the last one was No, no, we lost the last one. I was at the the Monday night game in Pittsburgh. Steelers, you fucker. Yeah, we, they stole it from us, all right? That fucking referee who always cheats us, Tony Correnti. At least he retired. Yeah, he's gone. I, I, I think he was pushed out, man. Good, that fucking cheater. Yeah. The bastard. He probably lives in Pittsburgh. But oh. I said before the game, I was like, every time he, he refs a game of us, there's a controversial call and we lose, including our Super Bowl. And 41, it's like they're all they, – he we lose every game this guy's at. And, of course, end up losing that night. But Fields – put on the show that night but to what i was going to say is if, if if the texans are in a like a thursday game i don't want to do that obviously if it's like on christmas i don't want to do that uh so all things equal for sunday afternoon that's the one i'm going to try to come to cool well we'll uh we'll be talking about th that right here on the barroom network thursday at 7 p.m i want to say uh john buffon will host a schedule release party we'll have a bunch of other barroom network hosts uh and you'll you'll be getting texts from me so be looking forward to it because the single game tickets at face value for regular fucks like us who don't have season tickets go on sale at 9.30 East, I think, and 8.30 Central. Ooh, okay. On that day, Thursday, right? Thursday night. And and uh, so I, I'm trying to go – I'm going to try to get on and get those tickets at face value, you know, and, and so I don't have to pay. Because like I said, the three I bought last season for that Lions game that we attended, it was over $1,000 for those three tickets. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, if you get face value, then certainly you could get a lot more tickets – for your value too, you know? 
Nomad says you won't want to miss any of these games this year. It's history in the making. I do believe that. I do believe I'm holding hope that this new regime is now laying the foundation for what could be a a decade plus of winning football here in Chicago. Just like Lovey Smith brought winning to Chicago for long periods of time, got us to the Super Bowl. Yes, we didn't win. But, hey, I'll take that over fucking 8-8 eight and, eight and, uh, and Matt Nagy. <laughs> well, yeah, I agree. Look, I don't want to pile on Lovey. Uh, Lovey's a guy that I root for and I will root for in, in Houston, except for the one week he pay, plays us. But, I mean, he only made the playoffs three times with the Bears. People forget that. that 05, 06, and 10. That was it. I thought it was more than that. No, no 04, uh, Rex got hurt. You got Chad Hutchinson and Jonathan Quinn, no playoffs there. 07, immensely disappointing with Rex and Brian Greasy. 08, Kyle Orton's year as the lone starter, except Rex had one start, no playoffs. 09, Jay's first year, Erlacher hurt. Week one, no playoffs. Week 10, you know, or, or 2010 to go to the title game. 2011, Jay breaks his thumb. They're 7 and 3, don't make the playoffs. 2012, they're 7 and 1. Finish ten and six. Don't make the playoffs. Lovey's fired. That's it. He had what? Oh four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So he had nine seasons, and six of those he didn't make the postseason. That's crazy, man. And two of them were absolute awful uh, collapses. That eleven one uh, is so bad because again, you just had Donovan McNabb on TV every week saying, "Please sign me, Chicago. I grew up there." I, I would love to play for the Bears. And, again, you just win one more game in that stretch, they make the playoffs, and Jay would have been back in the playoffs. Whether you think that's good or not, he had that thumb thumb surgery, and it was ready to go by the opening round of the wild card, but we weren't there. I'm going to fucking call Jay up. we got to have him on this show. We can Tell him we'll buy some of his fucking steak or whatever it is he's selling. He's now, selling if, steak if come now on. from his farm, from his actual farm? Is that? Uh, he's got to deal with somebody that he published. Like, it's a big deal to them. They sell, yeah, on his, he's always marketing it. I forget what it's called, but he sells uh, food or something, too. Obviously, that's not his main gig, but, yeah, he does sell meat of some kind. I think it's steak. Okay. I know a lot of people have left the chat, um, but those of you on the chat, if we had Jay Cutler on, would you promise him that you buy some of that shit that he's selling? (laughs) 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 Oh, look at all those thumbs up. (laughs) See, I'm afraid Jay would be one of those guys. It'd be one of those situations where you don't want to meet the person you really like or something, you know? Well, fucking A. Yeah. I'm afraid Jay would, would just not like us at all. Of you know? course he won't. <laughs> yeah, I, this is one of the most frustrating human beings on the planet Earth. I mean, I, I don't I think he's going to die a miserable guy just because he it, it's so hard for him to get along with people. You know, he's an elitist, by the way. You know that. Right? Maybe that's why he and B-Marsh were so, so much alike. Well, but, they, and then, then like B-Marsh doesn't even like him anymore. <laughs> yeah, but Brandon's story is different. He's bitter because Jay didn't come to the hospital to see him. The hospital and see him that night when he, his last game was a bear when he got hurt against Dallas on a night game in 14. But he had just called Jay out in front of the whole fucking team. So Jay was like, fuck you, man. Exactly. And so, yeah, he didn't go see him in the hospital. Guy, and yeah. Brandon's carried a grudge ever since. 
you know, and I, I like both of those guys. I really do. Jay Cutler, I, I, you know, I, I think that the whole diabetes thing has something to do with why he can be irascible at times. Brandon Marshall, I get the personality disorder uh, that he has, and that makes him probably uh, uh, a, a less than nice guy. So I, I get that. I have empathy for these guys. Uh, but, man, I, 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 I just wish it would, wouldn't manifest itself those imperfections that they have manifest themselves so often publicly and um but it as it may that's the past you got any more time for us dan or you got yeah i gotta gotta go but the last thing i'll say uh and i'm promoting something that i know tooch has watched because we talked about it on i have a stream but come back this summer starring the one and only evan rachel wood is coming to hbo Not, you I'm guys, a big fan of that show. So. You guys did not care for season two, did you? Or, or did I you? love season two? Okay, yeah. A lot of people. Season three was season the three one that was different, right? This will be three season four. Okay. Right? I thought two was great. Yeah, one and two were brilliant. That if you go back and watch the movie, it's based on from the early seventies. It's really shitty now because the show took <laughs> up the ante so much. The, the movie just like feels like it's 200 years old. The only but thing, I'm really looking forward to season four. The only thing cool about the original movie was Yul Brenner in that all-black cowboy outfit, and, and he looked like a robot. <laughs> that was the only cool thing about it. But, that yeah, that movie does not, does not stand up well nowadays. Well, gentlemen, I got to go. Aldo, I'll be in touch with you yes, Thursday about trying to get these tickets. So hopefully I can get tickets and we'll have – that taken care of at a at a at a, a price that I can be happy about. Yeah, and Stephen says enjoy your first flight, Dan. That's next Wednesday. But yes, I do appreciate that, and I hope I don't get fucking lost and or have my asshole searched at an airport. <laughs> that that you didn't know that that happens to all uh, airline passengers now. Well, I hope they at least make me get off then. Where can I sign up? <laughs> well, guys, I gotta go. Though. Everybody, be well. All right, brother. Take care. Thanks, <laughs> that is Danny Guire, the one and only Danny Guire. He is so, uh, in so many different ways. Let me get rid of this. I, tell you. I don't need it anymore. Um, Tooch, you tell me. Yep. Go ahead, tell me. I, uh, I still, I, I'm still dwelling, you know, on a thing Dan said a while back that we've. Lovey Smith was 10 and 6, and we fired him for this guy. <laughs> Look at the way he looks there. What the heck? What the hell is that? Mark Trustman. What the heck? <laughs> it's like alien. He <laughs> looks like a chemistry teacher. <laughs> Not one that's going to sell meth, just a chemistry teacher. <laughs> It looks like, uh, <laughs> it looks like <laughs> post plastic surgery. You'll have skin like oh this, folks. <laughs> He's been botoxed. <laughs> that is priceless. That is not a football coach. He <laughs> no, no. He's he's an offensive consultant. That's what he is. You know, share with me some of your ideas and stay out of the way of the players. I don't want you going anywhere near our players. That's what we I would. We were so like we had to have an offensive guy. That that's what we settled for. We're so desperate for offense. Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> he lo- does look like a math teacher or, or like an evil genius from a bad comic book from Jesus. <laughs> uh, Nomad does it even better. He looks like the guy in the white van. <laughs> I've been waiting for a few shows to drop that picture, just by the way. <laughs> That's beautiful. Hey, uh, Tooch, I posted this up on my Twitter account, at My Room Network, and I want your impressions to this. Here's the current rostered wide receivers and tight ends. I'll read them out for the benefit of those listening on the audio version. Darnell Mooney, Pringle, St. Brown, Valus Jones, David Moore, Daz Newsom. I put David Moore number five before Daz Newsom because Moore is like an eight-year career. At number seven, Isaiah Coulter, uh, Nasimbo Webster at eight, nine, Kevin Shaw, a rookie, Henry Litwin at 10, a rookie, Cyrus Holder, a rookie, number 12, Chris Finke. On the website, those are the 12 receivers currently rostered. And then there are these six tight ends, Cole Komet, Jesper Horstead, James O'Shaughnessy recently picked up a five-year veteran. Brian Griffin has been in the league a while. He's at number four. And then five and six are two rookies. Chase Allen out of uh, Iowa State, I want to say, and Jake Tongas. How how worried do you get when you see the uh, lack of depth or the lack of an experienced um, number one or number two type veteran in the wide receiver tight end ranks? Yeah, you know, uh, I I think uh, I tried to get in last week uh, a comment about how I thought the Bears should try and sign like a veteran for that wide receiver room. Like mm-hmm. a guy like Emmanuel Sanders or Jarvis Landry. I'm with you. Someone that, could, you know, these young players could really like, you know, learn a lot from how to practice, how to watch film. Right. Know, I don't how, think how to I, go about everyday business. Excuse me for interrupting. I don't think Landry is that guy because he wants a multi-year contract. But I bet you Emmanuel Sanders would gladly yeah. find a one-year deal. Right. I love uh, Emmanuel Sanders too. I think he's like the guy who you'd kind of, you know, he's a pros pro. You know, yep. he may not be he may not be flashy and have uh, uh, what you know be the player he used to be, uh, but uh, I think uh, he could benefit. You know. Much like you have like a backup quarterback, like, you know, Foles or Dalton in the quarterback room. Now they've got Trevor Simeon, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is a guy who could actually contribute too. So I think Mm -hmm. it'd be a good idea to sign someone like that. If not Emmanuel Sanders, I know uh, I see some comments in there about Chase Allen, the tight end. That's a guy I I like because, you know, uh, uh, he played about 35 minutes for me at Iowa State. You know, and he was basically Iowa State's best receiving threat. This is a guy. This dude's like it's what he. It's, Sorry, go he's ahead. he's what Dan wants Cole Komet to be. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a guy that's like brawly. You know, tough to bring down. Got some run after the catch ability. Uh, he's got really long hair and stuff. So I mean, it's like uh, you know, you'll uh, you're not going to miss him out there. You know, he's got mm-hmm. you know long hair flowing out the helmet in the back. But uh, this guy fairly athletic and stuff, you know, that uh, and tough, you know, can block and can catch great hands. And uh, he's got some uh, after-the-catch ability that, that you, you know, you like. You kind of uh, uh, will like to see uh, this guy, you know, kind of kind of what we thought Cole Komet would, would do, you know, break a lot of tackles, run down like we thought uh, what's that Shaheen would do too. But uh, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. this guy will actually do those things. So, you know. Uh, the, the other one I, I like, uh, I think that number 10 on that wide receiver list, this kid, Henry Litwin, if you've 
Uh, I know jo- Jordan Sil- uh, Silvera told me to watch some watch some uh, tape on this kid. I think he, he might have a chance to stick. This is a guy that catches everything. Uh, Henry uh, Henry Litwin, right? Yeah, from Slippery Rock. Slippery Rock. And he's like the all-time leading receiver of Slippery Rock and uh, uh, set some kind of records for, uh, I don't know whether it was Division Three, uh, small school colleges, but uh, – yeah, this dude, uh, he might have have some uh, sticking power. I forget that guy that uh, we thought would be uh, would be one uh, they drafted uh, a while back. It was like a seventh-round wide receiver that, like, flashed in training camp, and uh, Phil loved him, you know, but I don't remember. <laughs> he, never, he never made it. Oh, uh, uh, Braverman. Was it? Daniel Braverman. Yes. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, this guy's, like, way better, though. Yeah, Braverman uh, was a wealth uh, – is well, I shouldn't be revealing this, but it's it's after hours. <laughs> Braverman was a – his father was a wealth of content for, for Phil because it was Braverman's dad who told Phil that Kevin White just didn't know the playbook, did not fucking know it. And uh, while he was 10 times the athlete of a Daniel Braverman, Kevin White was just relying on his talents and wasn't really – according to this source, wasn't really uh, studying the playbook like he should. So uh, awful to hear that from uh, from somebody. And um, I wouldn't say it's uh, a 100% reliable source. You know, this is a father who's fighting for his son to make the team. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. you know, he's not. it's not going to come at the expense of, uh, of Kevin White, the number one draft pick overall. Um but it, that's what was said back then. So yeah, it's uh, not not hard to believe. I know it. You know he's probably still he's probably, he was trying to make a comeback. Probably still doesn't know whatever playbook he was supposed to learn. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, uh, yeah, this guy. I, I kind of like uh, uh, this this kid, but uh, you know, chat room doesn't agree with me on uh, Litwin. But uh, they like David Moore. I like that pick too. That guy. He always seems to catch touchdowns. I'm okay. I remember uh, Chris Carter had the knock that all he does is catch touchdowns. That's fine with me. I remember I think it was Buddy Ryan that said that about Chris. Buddy Carter. Ryan did say that. Yes. Yeah, all he does is catch touchdowns. What? I got no problem with that. Although, you know, <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna score for me. I got no problem. So, None whatsoever. Yeah. None whatsoever. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. The other thing about that list of uh, wide receivers and tight ends, um, this is the year for Jesper Horstead. This is the year. Look at that. Look at that depth chart. He has the opportunity here to showcase his skills starting uh, when the veterans come in next week. He can start showing uh, Luke Getze and, and, and Eberflus what he's capable of doing because what he's capable of doing based on what I've seen is incredible. Like you said, just catch his touchdowns. That's right. So he can do that. Uh, The first touchdown pass that uh, Justin Fields threw in his NFL career was to Jesper Horstead. Tough throw. Horstead had a defender draped all over him, but he had the confidence to fire the ball in and Horstead didn't let him down, made that catch. This is the time where Horstead, in my mind, can come in to this team and catch 50 passes. And I have totally agree. Four or five touchdowns. I, you know, 
I totally agree because I tell you right now, if if, uh, if he doesn't do it here, he's going somewhere and will do it somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see him getting on another team, you know, uh, and, and then him catching a bunch of passes, you know, just becoming like a, you know, a fantasy uh, tight end that people can, gra- you know, grab for, you know, consistent points. You know, yep. I, I, I hate to say it, but I, 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 he would be, he would be good up in Green Bay. Let's not let Green Bay in on the secret. Mm-hmm. But uh, they never have had a good tight. They haven't had a good tight end since Mark Shimura. You know, That's right. uh, it's Aaron Rodgers just doesn't utilize the tight end. If uh, if they had a guy that was athletic and fast like that, you know, if uh, uh, you know someone like Travis Kelsey was on Green Bay, you know, then he'd start using his tight end. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to. Well, it's interesting for the Packers is wide receiver and tight end is a position of concern for them. Obviously, when you lose Devontae Adams, it doesn't matter who you replace him with. There's going to yeah. be a downgrade in productivity from your number one receiver. And then when you look at the tight end position, Robert Tanyan is the number one tight end. He comes back after uh, missing most of last season with an injury. Now, the season before, he did have nine touchdown catches. And, but that was, you know, and, and again, that's not a bad thing. Uh, that's a good thing. But he wasn't, you know, in between the 20s, he wasn't uh, a big factor. And so he needs Tanyan needs to come back and and catch those nine touchdown passes plus catch more passes in between the 20s for the Packers to excel. Hey, look who's just dropped in here. The show just got dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) All the tooch, how we doing? You, baby. I'm blessed. I'm glad to hop in and talk with you fellas. All right. Tell, uh, Tell Aldo about my guy Chase Allen played at Iowa State. Yeah, I mean, good, good wide backup tight end. Uh, got a little bit of move skill. He, you know, the thing about Allen and the thing about tight ends in general, and I'm forgetting, maybe it was like a Colt scout that was talking about it, but I share this sentiment is that why tight ends are becoming more and more rare in the league nowadays. Mm-hmm. You're seeing even the college game moving to let's get these move tight ends, these guys that are receivers who we convert, tell them to add a little weight and become tight ends. Uh, even just the, the league is getting a little more athletic in general. It's yeah. it's moving from tight ends to, oh, you're a tight end? Right? Yeah, this is Chase Allen. Oh, yeah. you're a tight end like Bernard Ryman? Let's go ahead and tell you to add a little weight and become a tackle. And so it's just kind of – that's moving down the line. Oh, you're a big receiver? You had heard that's... Dominique Robinson talk about – well, He's they got a little him. Jeremy Shockey in him. Yeah. Remember, like uh, Jeremy Shockey? University yeah, of Miami. Robinson, Dominic Robinson had said they wanted me to add a little weight to become like an H-back tight end. And this is just something you're seeing. So to get a traditional Y um, that can also move, you're seeing him catch the ball well and move. That is really what makes him special. Here he is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's uh, Yeah, he's not a burner. But, um, you know, he's, a, he's a, a guy that I like because he's able to block and also. He's a good athlete. Yeah. A little better than Ben Broniker. <laughs> <laughs> or as we were talking about Daniel Braverman who t- converted to tight end after right oh did he yeah are you serious wow. I didn't, Daniel he was so Braverman? small though yeah he's tiny um unless I'm thinking of Daniel Brown but I'm pretty sure yeah Braverman. Daniel Brown is the Daniel yeah. Brown is the guy Braverman Braverman was, was a little guy shifty yeah, that- that was the year they allowed us bloggers and podcasters on the sideline for two practices. And so I was 10 feet away from uh, Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, he's 5'10". I'm thinking of uh, – is it out of James Madison, was it? Daniel Brown? Yeah, I think that's yeah, – yeah, I yeah. think that's – yeah. 
But uh, uh, Braverman uh, was looked shorter than uh, the offensive coordinator at the time. Who, what was the name of that guy? Um, Dow Loggins. Yeah, Dow yeah. Loggins. Yeah, I was looking up the Dow. How did I do that? Yeah. Uh, he, had a, he had one of the best play calls I've seen in a, in a while from the Bears. It was called Donuts. You guys remember that play where it's like a oh, fake handoff no. and the tight end ran it in on the goal line? Oh. Zach Miller. Zach Miller ran in, in a touchdown. Yeah, uh, and I think it's like a little swift block. Uh, swift yeah, block. yeah, we're yeah, yeah, yeah a yeah. little wham. And uh, yeah, he he was uh, after after that play, he'd been dying to get that play, and he was like, co- or he, he told John Fox, "Coach, donut worked." That was the name of the play, donuts. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we used to joke about Dowell on uh, Barroom back when. Phil oh was my here. gosh, <laughs> he was a great source of comedy for us. We miss him. <laughs> Those like the dog jokes. Um, Jordan, uh, now that you've listened to the press conferences from uh, this past weekend and you've absorbed more tape on these players, what are your overall feelings about this draft? I know at first you were positive, but also had some reservations. How do you feel today? Yeah, I mean, and I appreciate you asking, although I think the situation I see, and just to be very clear, so I'm not being misconstrued in any way, I'm more concerned or have questions about the overall process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's very layered. Some of that I'm looking at it and saying, at some respect, there's no two guys I think you should trust more to draft offensive linemen late than Ian Cunningham and Ryan Poles. At mm-hmm. the same time, there becomes a real question of, it's cool to trade back and secure all these different draft picks, but if you're at 148 and 150 and you move back to 190, I mean, go ahead and ask resident scouting director Greg Gabriel. When you're moving back, are you getting the same quality of player later? That's a concern I have. Now, again, that's what we're talking about with if there's a guy who should be able to scout and identify offensive linemen he wants, it'd be these guys. So I want to try to give them the benefit of the doubt. And to answer your question, I'm pretty positive on a lot of the players uh, just to give you an example, Jaquan Brisker is my favorite pick of the class. And then right after him, a lot of people be like, oh, so you like Valis or you like Kyler Gordon? No, Dominic Robinson would be my second favorite guy Really, out of the class. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's yes, he's raw. He admits it himself. He has one move. And that's something that he I'm this is a thing that it literally stretches to all of the different uh, prospects that we drafted. Mm-hmm. which is you see an awareness of what they need to work on and understanding of the opportunity that they're being given. And what I loved hearing from Robinson is, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty raw. I only have one move. And he understands that in this league, that's how teams key against you. Oh, mm-hmm. you're good at a swim move or a rip move or a little scissors chop, cross chop. Great. I'm going to take that away. Can you do something else? Right. And that's what the league consistently does. And it happens across all different positions, even on offensive line. Cool. You have four good starters. We're going to find a way to single it up one-on-one Khalil Mack versus your weakest link. And let's see how you handle that. And so this is the thing that you're seeing. And really to kind of wrap it up here, although the thing that I love from all these prospects that I can't knock, I think a lot of fans are getting lost in the fact of, oh, wow, they drafted 25-year-old Valus Jones. They drafted 24-year-old Dominic Robinson, 24-year-old Zachary Thomas. I understand the age looks crappy, especially when you consider like a Cleveland Browns team that literally they won't draft players who are 23. They just don't do it. Mm -hmm. But the thing about all of these players that you're seeing is they have a sense of maturity, a sense of understanding what they need to do. They understand that they're trying to carve out a role for themselves on this team. And I think that maybe I'm just, you know, 
pontificating what I believe here, but I don't think that that's coincidence. I think Ryan Poles is coming in and saying, I need to actually change the culture here. And the way to do that is to bring real men in the building who understand accountability and not let them have club dub after, you know, squeaking out a win versus the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving and things like that. And, you know, we I hear you all the time, although talk about Eddie Jackson, how he needs to get his shit together. I think these are a lot of guys that maybe they don't seem as shiny or flashy, but they're going to be the glue guys that bring together a culture and hold people accountable. Like you heard it today when you put on the Jaquan Brisker clip, that guy is not going to take any shit from anybody. It's just not going to happen. And you can bet your sweet ass that if Eddie Jackson's over pursuing, missing a play, I posted something on Twitter today of, kind of a, a little gag fun, funny gif where uh, Aaron Rodgers was throwing a touchdown the second time we played them this year. And Eddie Jackson just over pursues and misses it and gives up a touchdown. It's like, that's the stuff that Brisker is going to sit there and just chew them out for. And I love it. And I love it too. You're absolutely right. These guys, I mean, you heard these sound bites and you heard them before I played them today. What, what a collection of mature leaders, leader, uh, guys with leadership traits uh, that they've collected with this draft. Uh, I can't wait to listen to some more of these rookies talk uh, over the coming weeks, uh, particularly some of the seventh round draft picks that haven't gotten around. If they were interviewed, I haven't gotten around to listen to them, but you know, and, and of course it's always what they do on the football field. That's first and foremost, but uh, you know, a, a lot of what they say and how they present themselves is important too, because you you can get kind of a feeling as to whether these guys really love the game of football and how is it that they prepare, how important is the game, and so forth. Those those questions that are asked and answered, you know, help us kind of mold our opinion on these guys. You guys, uh, uh, two. Any particular player that you saw uh, or heard of this weekend that left you with a, a real positive impression about their future with the with the Bears? Yeah, I love. I, I thought they were all very well spoken. Uh, I'm very impressed with Braxton Jones. I just hope he could play. He sounds very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess he'll be moving to or uh, Zachary Thomas will be moving to guard. Braxton Jones will be tackle, maybe the swing tackle this year or compete for a starting spot with Borum and Jenkins. Uh, I I wanted to ask Jordan about uh, day three kind of became, you know, a trade back fest where it got to the point where, uh, you know, Bears fans were kind of wondering if, if Ryan Poles might trade himself all the way out of the draft, never take a guy and uh, just uh, (laughs) compile picks for next year. But uh, what did you think about the strategy of trading back and kind of getting more darts to throw at the dartboard. And do you think any of those darts will hit? Well, I think with a roster that has so many spots left to be filled, you have to assume that some of those are going to be hit. And I mean, this is something that I think a lot of fans forget too. When they were doing the mini camp, the voluntary mini camp before the draft at the veterans, they had to put Mustafer or, or Dakota Dozier at right guard. And there were still questions about, who do you have on this offensive line as far as bodies? And so while I may question the process, there was a legitimate concern that in rookie minicamp, you wouldn't even have offensive line bodies to host an entire offensive line because you can't have the veterans there. So I think you saw some of that where let's just kind of take the buckshot approach, take multiple bites at the apple dart throws and draft these offensive linemen. And because of the rosters, the roster that's you know somewhat, I think it had like 50 or 60 players on it during the draft, I think some of those will stick. 
as I said, kind of my issue is just the process, which, so I'll just bring up one of the trades, for example. They traded the six that they got from Khalil Mack's trade next year back to the Chargers to get those two seventh rounders at the very end that were compensatory selections. I understand that went to Eli Hicks and a punter. I'm not telling you you could have gotten great offensive line value there. But the some of the, and again, it's, I want to be very clear. It's my draft board. It's the names I like. Doesn't mean that Poles has to like them. Doesn't mean they're the right fits for this team. But I think it's really telling when you trade off of 148 and Khalil Shakir, a guy that I had a second, third round grade on, goes immediately to the Bills. And Ryan Poles can say he doesn't like Khalil Shakir, and that's fine. I guess I can understand it. But at some point, I think you need to look at who's trading with you. And it's the Buffalo Bills, who are a very well-run franchise, know how to build a team really well. They seem to think this guy's worth the trade up for him. What are you missing? Are you sure you're not missing something with this player? So you move off of it, you lose a receiver that could have been added. Then you're at 150. And we've talked about how important the three tech is. And you move off of 150 and Thomas Booker, the three tech out of Stanford goes to who else, but Houston with Lovey Smith. I'm not telling you that Houston's being ran the right way, but guess what? Lovey Smith is running the exact same scheme that you're running. And Lovey is going to kind of understand what a three tech is and what's needed from the three tech. And he wants to trade up and grab him. Are you sure you're not missing anything with the position that you clearly value with three tech and you had to go to your plan B with Justin Jones and you could have had Thomas Booker. I understand the approach to say, let's get more offensive linemen. Let's get Tristan Ebner and Trenton Gill and Eli Hicks. But it hurts me a little bit to think that you're moving off of these players that I, I would argue could have gone a little earlier you're seeing teams that either understand the position or are massively successful in the league trading up with you to get them. Did you move back far enough to get more players but lesser quality? That's an issue I have. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Both of those players would have had a great shot to make this team that you mentioned, Shakir and and Booker. Uh, And and, and you know what? Would the the punter not have been there after the draft? Well, what he said, I, mean, I know was, we had to take one, but well, we what he said, one. and I, I get it. He said, look, I don't want to have to sit there and battle and fight and negotiate with other teams for punters. Right. But it's like, I mean, just off the top of my head, to be clear, I had Ryan Stonehouse ahead of him. But that's, again, my board. I don't care. You took Trenton Gill. Trenton Gill has a much bigger leg. I understand it. But the fact that I can name two punters, one that you took and one that still was an undrafted free agent. There's other punters out there to get. And it's not like they didn't have a punter. They have a – I was going to say his name's Ryan Willis, but that's the quarterback. They have some punter on the team. And I get he's probably not worth much, which is why you draft one. But it just feels like you could have had a Khalil Shakir and a Thomas Booker, and then you're grabbing a punter from the UDFA pool. And you're with those compensatory selections, you're taking like a Michael Maietti, a center out of Missouri, or a Brock Hoffman, a center from Virginia Tech. And – I don't know. It just kind of it bothered me a bit. I think Lasita Smith was there too, and he no. went after like it's just. I don't know. Like I said, the the players are fine. I I can even somewhat understand the process, but I do have questions about. Are you sure that was the right move? Yeah, although would probably agree that maybe one trade too many. Although, yeah, you know, I I I don't have a problem so much with the trades down. Uh, they needed to collect. 
players, you know, a lot of these players probably would have been available uh, uh, as undrafted free agents, but they probably wanted to get a head start and nailing these guys and not having to compete against other teams to sign these guys because they felt like these guys would be would be a better bargain as a draft player as opposed to working with the limited pool of money that you have for undrafted free agents. So it's it's hard to say. And sometimes when you make a trade, you know, you, you say, well, I still think one of my wide receivers will be available the next time we draft. But unfortunately, that receiver is not there. So that could have happened. And we don't know. I will. I do want to bring this up. Nomad in the chat. Uh, Jordan is not. Is, doesn't sound like he's a big fan of what oh, you have. No, to I've, say. I've been kind of seeing this go, and that's fine. I mean, <laughs> if, I'll tell you what. If no, if you want to send Nomad a link, we can talk about it. Um, you know, I don't know what his issue is with me, but Nomad, I'm, I try to keep it friendly. If you disagree, that's fine. I just ask you to substantiate it. You can say, "I need to humble myself. I think I'm a GM. I'm in my head, or whatever you're saying." But the reality is, I think I've done a decent job substantiating my opinion and my points. Here's the one that I would like you to answer. I apologize for interrupting. Uh, he says, did, did Jordan have, uh, I'm paraphrasing, did Jordan have his own big board? I want to probably, I'm going to guess that you did. <laughs> I did, yeah. Also. I mean, when I'm sitting here and telling you that I had Shakir as a second or third round pick, and I, I know guys down the list, I'm like, oh, Ryan Stonehouse, a punter. When I, when I can name you punters from different positions and different places, I tend to know exactly where I have players slotted. And, I mean, with all due respect, Nomad, there's a reason why Aldo has me on this show, why he's brought me on as kind of a regular in bar room is because I'm not just spewing bullshit. I, I, I do a lot of research. I spend a lot of time scouting players. Yeah. It's, you know, I don't know what else to say, but, you know, you're not going to have everybody that's a fan and that's okay. That is absolutely okay. I, I wish I had uh, fans with my previous marriage, for instance. <laughs> Marriages. <laughs> Me too, <laughs> Aldo. <laughs> Aldo and I are in the, thir- the three-timer club. It's like uh, Saturday Night Live. When you host Saturday Night Live five times, you become a member of the – That's right. Aldo and I have been married three times. We're, we're each. That's right. Not, not, not total. Each. Yeah, each. <laughs> uh, Jordan, the schedule comes out on Thursday – uh, anything in particular that you would like to see happen with the schedule? Are you, you are you looking for primetime appearances? Somebody uh, on Twitter told me, oh, primetime appearances would be would be great. It would prepare these young guys for games down the road. I, I think, you know, we can wait for that. Uh, but any thoughts that you have on what the schedule might look like or what you would like it to look like? Yeah, I'll make a little bit, a little bit of a joke to start, but I li- literally mean this. I, if the rumors are true that they're playing Detroit in week one, I would love that. Just so we can kind of get an, an answer to start with Don Burr about whether he needs to leave the <laughs> chat room or hang out. And, uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, if that's the rumor, I wouldn't mind that. And it's a good way to start. Mm-hmm. Nothing against the Lions. I have a lot of respect for what they're trying to build, but that would be a nice early stepping stone for this offense to get on pace and get on board with what they're doing. Um, and then the other ideas that I have as far as what I'd like to see would just be, I think you're going to see the NFL capitalize on some of these matchups with second-year quarterbacks. So whether it be the Bears versus Mac, uh, Justin Fields versus Mac Jones, Bears-Patriots, Bears-Jets, Justin Fields versus Zach Wilson, if Trey Lance is starting Bears versus 49ers. And I think oh, some of that – Good point, Jordan. Yeah, I think some of that will be up for flexing as well. Like, I mean, you may see some situations where, okay, the Niners and the Bears are playing at 4 p.m. on Sunday, 
and if, and that's in week seven. But if in week four the Bears are three and one, for example, you may see them ultimately flex that and go, oh, okay, the Bears aren't a total snooze fest. Let's go ahead and flex that to prime time mm-hmm. because we'd like to see that showdown with Trey Lance and Justin Fields battling and dueling. Excellent. Uh, excellent point. I like that whole idea. If I'm, if I'm a TV programmer, uh, and I am actually here in the Barroom Network, <laughs> I, I would uh, I would definitely pit these second-year quarterbacks against one another because that just comes with it a, a fabulous, uh, fascinating storyline. So that, that's a good point. Tucha, I'll ask you the same thing. You know, from a gambler standpoint, this is what you love to do. When you, you know, when the NFL season starts, you're going to see, you know, if you ever watch the old uh, uh, Flintstone series, that episode where Fred Flintstone says, bat, 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 bat. That's John Santucci come NFL season. So, Tucci, what, uh, what are you hoping from a gambler standpoint to see with the schedule? Uh, you know, I, I boy, I, I, I want to see uh, games where I know uh, uh, it'll be a, an easy bet. So. <laughs> of course. <laughs> what, uh, do you have, you know, do you have like uh, betting, uh, what's what's the word, uh, prescriptions, you know, that you, you won't touch uh, an underdog home team on prime time? Do, do you have things like that uh, um, that you adhere to? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I do, of course. Yeah, I, you know, get, like game game threes and games fives of like, for example, like bas- the basketball playoffs that are going on right now are really hard when teams return or go to their home court. You know, and you just like we just saw with like the Miami Heat, where like they totally dominated the 76ers in game one and two. Then it's like everyone was on the Heat for game three, and and the, the 76ers blew them out. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of uh, you got to watch yourself with game threes, you know, game fives, where it gets to that point, you know, and it's kind of uh, maybe uh, uh, do the opposite. You know, have to think opposite at, at those times, you know, where uh, you're, you're fading the team that's hot because, mm-hmm. you know, they're on the road now. The bench players don't play as good on the road. You know, uh, home crowds are tough. Uh, and, and with football, uh, man, fo- football's – Last year was really hard to bet on football. I thought it was a tough uh, gambling season for football. But I uh, look forward to this coming season a lot. I mean, it, Anthony's really the guy you want to talk to. He's got all these things like fade so-and-so on the road. You know, this uh, course field, you know, is uh, overs for baseball. He's got a lot of these rules and stuff, you know. And I'll be like asking him, what do you think about uh, such and such a team? He's like, or pitcher or whoever. He's like, no, no, fade him on the road. You know, every game. But he's got a lot more than I do. We'll have to have him on. And, uh, That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, he's got a lot more than me. We were hoping to bring some, like, uh, rules like that to, uh, to borrow so people have an idea, you know, of, uh, of how we think and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of those rules and stuff are uh, we're really to keep your bankroll – you know, uh, uh, up there from, you know, losing your bankroll, keep you from losing it. But yeah. I, I wanted to ask uh, both you and Jordan, someone posted in the chat room about uh, Byron Pringle's little uh, donut. Speaking of donuts, <laughs> right. uh, Byron uh, Pringle's little donut incident and uh, how the thinking maybe he should be cut. What do you think, uh, Jordan? 
I mean, I think, look, it's not a good look. That's the reality is you'd wish that every player was a state, didn't have any off the field issues. But mm-hmm. I think as a team, you're not in a position to cut talent. You need any good talent that there is. And obviously, Ryan Pohl seems to think that Brian, Byron Pringle can be that guy. And the reality is, I, without getting too deep into it, there are a lot of players that commit much more severe infractions that find themselves back in the league, whether that be Kareem Hunt, Deshaun Watson. Yep. Uh, the Bengals were a team that just did this consistently over the years, picking up players that had incidents uh, previously. So The Raiders. Yeah, you know, it's a situation. It's not pretty, but I think and, – and the real thing to, to think about is – the heaviest gust of all the negative backlash is already blown. If he was going to get cut, I'm pretty sure it would have happened already. I don't think you're going to see polls react two weeks later going, you know, it's been two weeks now, but I've really had some time to reflect and let's go ahead and cut him. I just, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I agree with Jordan. I, I believe that this, you know, anytime you're putting a child in some kind of danger and maybe he was properly, buckled up and and it was in a location where the chance of there being any type of a crash with another car or anything that that was out of the question and it appears that those were all the cases i don't think that anybody should be fired for that type of transgression um and it's and it goes also behind you know that they're not in a situation uh to uh drop players uh because of where they are at the roster, it just has to go with this this disposable society that we're in. We we can't continue to do that. Just get rid of somebody because they make a mistake. You know, uh, years ago I read this book called Shockwave, and and the author Alvin Toffler talked about how we were becoming a, a society where everything yeah. in life was now becoming like a tissue paper. You blow your nose yeah. and now you throw it away. Whereas before you would have a handkerchief, you blow your nose, your handkerchief, you put it in your pocket and you use it again and again and again. And so that's what we've become as a kind of a cancel culture. Uh, it, it's not good yeah. for, for us to immediately get rid of somebody when they make a mistake in their lives. And I, he predicted I, a paperless society in that, that book. That's right. Toffler did. Toffler. That's right. No paper. No which was paper. hard back then was hard to believe because everything was on paper. Yes. You know, the yes. newspapers, files, everything. The other day I was at Whole Foods and the, the aisles are all, you know, foods for to help you with this, foods to help you with that, foods. To, and Toffler predicted that in, uh, in his book uh, decades ago. So, but the, the main point here is, you know, um, this is Poe said, I know this guy. I know him well. He's not he's not a bad person. And so that's good enough for me. Poe has given me no reason at all to distrust uh, his opinion on these matters. Did uh, Jordan scout uh, Byron Pringle? I mean, to me, I, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, could he be like a number uh, uh, a starting wide receiver in the NFL? Because I kind of see him more as like a. I, it's hard for me to get past the role that he had in Kansas City, where he kind of like Demarcus Robinson and uh, Michael Hardman. He just kind of came in and like a role player. Uh, a well, role. Yeah, I mean, and I don't want to make it sound. I know I've got Novak here in the chat, a few others that are like, who's this guy? But, uh, you know, the situation is, is the thing I remember about Byron Pringle, Kansas State receiver was relatively productive there. He, The reason he went undrafted or went really late in the draft, I think he was undrafted, was he did have some off the field issues there. Um, and I don't want to misquote the issues. I, I think it could have been one or the other, and it was like DV or drug use, one of the two. But regardless, it wasn't a good look, which is why he wasn't drafted. He ended up getting picked up 
to uh, Kansas City eventually, and then ultimately became the wide receiver three this last year. And I, too, struggled, too, with the idea of was he just a benefactor of having Meikle Hardman and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, and he becomes the easy outlet that people were like, we'd rather die with seven-yard yeah. hitches and 13-yard cuts from Pringle or give up a 45-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill or a 30-yard bomb to Travis Kelsey. So I struggle with that as well. But you can't deny the production last year, and that was the thing with him. Is his I think his average was like 13 or 14 yards a catch. He's got – plays you know burning the Ravens defense and scoring on the Packers I believe it was and so he's got some highlight plays and I think as much as we may have some trepidation about how much more he can be than a wide receiver three it's worth taking a shot on that guy and saying can you truly be a wide receiver two and if not it's not like we had a wide receiver three who was totally locked in and is solid and if he becomes your wide receiver three I don't think that's a big issue either it's your show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just uh, playing devil's advocate, although that's my my preferred position with uh, Pringle. I know they're like, uh, what are the – getting – Tooch is trying to get rid of Pringle. You know, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just trying the, – there's questions there, man. I'm trying to get at the questions, just reading between the lines like I always oh, do. It's like, good, and I'm glad that you had actually Googled right. uh, to try to con- confirm what Jordan said about Pringles off the field problems in college. And no man's a bit salty tonight, although no man is my guy. You know, it needs a, man need a little bourbon. Well, and I, I, I gotta say, like, and I saw something Nomad said, like, I was a football player. Uh, Nomad, you may have even gone to play college ball. I I wasn't given that opportunity. I went to UC Santa Barbara and got my political science degree, where they don't have a football team, but. I played football from the age of five until the end of high school. I played everywhere from DN to fullback to tight end to Mike linebacker, played some offensive tackle. Like I'm very familiar with the game, which is why you'll tell me you're a DB in college and I'll tell you, hey, did you know I understood what a T-step was when you're playing you know, off coverage and you're backing up when you're backpedaling? I, I understand the game, I think, more than just what you'd assume this random guy hopping on a stream is. Um, so, you know, I've played the game too. It's not like some guy that's just, as, as he said, espousing scouts lingo. <laughs> right. I love it. We're going to have to have uh, you and Nomad on for a debate on the future show. Um, I'm calling in sick that day, Aldo. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be fun. Too All many fireworks. <laughs> uh, Nomad is saying that you're selling it. That's his problem with you. He's critical where he needs to be. Uh, Jordan is selling. I don't That's see what? that myself, no man. I think he's sharing his hard uh, research and, and meticulous research. I think he's sharing that with the rest of us. But I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, no man. That's your perception, and, and, and it is what it is. So all, all well, good. And, and I'll say one other thing, no man. I mean, uh, and Aldo will put it back up, but I'm, you can find me on Twitter. You can DM me. I'm more than willing to talk to you about it. I Because I, I genuinely, like, I don't even know what you're saying I'm selling. I'm, I'm I mean, Aldo can look up Byron Pringle's history with off-the-field incidents. I'm sure he sees that there was stuff dating back to his time at Kansas State. Like, we can talk about 148. Khalil Shakir went 148, 150. Thomas Booker went 150. Like, I don't know what I'm selling. Uh, Pringle had off-the-field problems. He was arrested in August 2019 and faced seven felony charges in an alleged spree that included of car armed robbery and firing a BB gun at pedestrians. 
Pringle admitted to firing a BB gun and was sentenced to four years of probation. So by my count, he's still under probation uh, if this report from the Tampa Bay Times is correct. So uh, he, has, he has had some issues and it's something that we need to keep uh, monitoring uh, because I, like I said before, I'm going to take Ryan Poles' word about his character but man, seven felony charges he was charged with. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's why it's it's not like a total shock that he had an off the field issue. It's mm-hmm. it's why he fell where he did in the draft. And- We're all for eighth chances here, Nomad. I don't know how long you fellas want to go, but if I could just ask, and I'll save some of this for, for the Barfly Tailgate show, but mm-hmm. you know, with the schedule releasing, I'd love to hear kind of, what your guys' thoughts are on the narrative that the Bears are going to be for sure guaranteed a lottery pick, one of those top five picks, that Justin Fields is doomed. I I mean, again, I won't go too deep into it. I won't spoil it, but I've, I've got the Bears winning like nine games in the low end. And I don't think – yeah, I mean, and if you want to quickly go through a schedule, but like I've got them beating the Lions twice. And it's this isn't just – for the record, it's not just like hot takes. Like, well, they'll beat the Lions because they always beat the Lions. Like when you think about what Matt Eberflus did in Indy, with a team, a defense that hovers around top 10, steady Eddie defense with less talent, by the way. I understand DeForest Buckner's better than any defensive lineman we currently have in the middle of the line. Mm-hmm. Darius Leonard, but Roquan Smith's a hell of a linebacker as well. And then you consider the secondary of what Chicago has now, and I think it's better than anything Indianapolis ever put together. So there's reason to believe that the defense will look good. And then you consider what new offensive minds do in the game. Whether that was Matt Nagy in 2018, and I understand we can put it on Vic Fangio and the defense. But then you consider what Philadelphia did this last year with Nick Sirianni as well. They were able to launch themselves into the playoffs because nobody could quite catch them on beat. Mm-hmm. And it came with them evolving and developing a running game that wasn't you weren't able to prepare for. And a lot of that comes with teams not understanding what Sirianni was bringing to the game until they have a full offseason to go, okay. Let's really analyze and determine how they're running the ball, how they're passing, how do we shut down Jalen Hurts. And I think that you're going to see a lot of Luke Getze getting that benefit. People didn't even really know, and I, I mean, I stand by this, that he was really going to run Shanahan scheme-wide zone. He didn't call plays at, uh, at Mississippi State with Joe Moorhead. He called a few plays in the preseason with the Packers. And the only way that I personally felt like, okay, that's been guaranteed is when Tristan Ebner said, yep, I'm looking at the plays and we're running wide zone. I'm familiar with that. So sure, some of that's being substantiated now, but there's no real idea how much he's rolling the QB out, how much wide zone they're playing. I mean, I think that you're going to see a lot of run heavy approaches and saying, okay, Justin, just like they do with Jimmy G up in San Francisco, I need you to make like seven throws a game. We're going to basically run the ball, keep the chains moving, and then I'm going to boot you out and I need you to make a 13 yard dig hit. Like, that's kind of what you're going to see. So, I mean, then you just consider what is the jump with Justin Fields look like? And I'm not ready to define how much of a jump that is. But when you consider what the defense should be, the jump that the offense should see just by having a competent play caller, why wouldn't they beat the Commanders or the Giants or the Texans or the Lions twice who don't have a quarterback up to what we believe Justin Fields will be or the Vikings once? They'll lose to the Packers twice, but and then you have some of these games where it's really going to be a battle of is Zach Wilson that guy or is Justin Fields that guy? Who's going to really outduel it there? Is Mac Jones that guy or is Justin Fields that guy? And it's those those are the games where when you hear me say nine, it's 
the Patriots, the Jets, the 49ers, and I think the Dolphins. Those are the ones that I see as kind of up in the air. But I tend to think, you know, don't get me wrong, I understand Miami's the hot news and the Jets are the hot news with the draft and what Miami did in free agency. But if all they're going to do is have Tua with his noodle arm run mesh with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell, Mm-hmm. I kind of question how they're going to keep up if Justin Fields is, you know, boat racing them on offense. And I understand they have a good defense, but the reality is I tend to believe Brian Flores is really the guy being the Geppetto with that, you know, puppet of a defense. And I don't think Nate Boyer is going to be able to call the right plays the way he did. And we'll see what happens with the Jets. But, I mean, that's why I just – I don't see this team that's all of a sudden going to lose 12 games. They didn't do it with Nagy. Like Nagy produced them to playoff appearances. And even last year, when everything was completely going downhill, they still won six games. Like, I just, I find it hard to believe. Yeah, I personally feel like it's way too early to make predictions as to how many teams. Right now, I don't know who's playing left tackle. And if you're telling me that uh, Braxton Jones is the best left tackle on this roster, and he may well be, and he may well deserve to be, that doesn't exactly fill me with confidence that that is that the left tackle position is now solved it's going to be growing pains there for this young man if he is going to be the left tackle I don't know who the right guard is going to be so there's all these unknowns with the Chicago Bears uh so I'm 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 gonna withhold opinions on wins and losses until the roster is set and I frankly uh I've always not always, but for the last several years, I've, I just want to make my predictions for the upcoming season that week before the season is over. Once the rosters are set, once I got a really good feeling as to what this team looks like, once I can digest how they played in the, in the preseason, once I can digest how the other teams on the schedule are looking, that way I can make a more informed decision as to how they're going to play in 2022. Now, I do have hope for the team, and I do have, and Jordan, a lot of the things that you're saying I totally agree with, but it's just, to me, uh, a bit too early to to go out on a limb and say nine wins, ten wins, eleven wins. Tooch, how do you think? Vegas has them at six and a half, although. And they, so they usually saying, know pretty well. Over under six and a half. So, yeah. I mean, uh, Vegas is, you know, they're, they're not often wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's I fair. looked at a, a few uh, – I think this, the Celtics and uh, Bucks game last night was a two-point spread. It was a two-point game mm-hmm. last night. How do they know ahead of time? I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, and, and and another thing, Jordan, about what you said is they beat the Lions twice last season. But I was at that at Bears-Lions game at Soldier Field with Dan Aguirre, and that's a game the Lions blew. You know, much more than the Bears won that game, that was a game that the Lions blew with all of their absurd – uh, play calls uh, in the red zone when they chose to go for it on fourth down as opposed to kicking a field goal. Uh, it, it was an atrocity, I think, for Lions fans how poorly Dan Campbell coached that game. And the Bears played well in that game, but if they would have been playing any other well-coached team, they probably would have lost that game. And on Thanksgiving Day, wasn't the score like Yes, it was 16 to 14. And Andy Dalton threw for 317 yards, but he only had one touchdown pass. Uh, the, the Bears couldn't get the ground game going. David Montgomery rushed for under three yards. 
uh, Khalil Herbert, 1.2 yards. And so there were a lot of problems with that team. And Andy Dalton was the quarterback, but and I, I anticipate Justin Fields is going to have a much better season than Dalton had last season for the Bears. But that's speculation because he hasn't yet done it in the sure. NFL. So that 6.5 that Vegas is, is offering as an over-under, I would probably bet the over on that, um, but it would be a little bit more out of the fact that I'm a fan and, I, and I'm hoping and I'm going to will them from that couch seat right there in front of my TV that I'm going to will them to win <laughs> over seven games uh, as opposed to really having confidence that t- this team is really ready to take that major leap from that eight and eight record, which really should have been much worse. Right. Um, and, and, and win nine, 10, 11 games. We'll see. Well, you know, I, you know, I think that, that's totally fair. I just want to say, I, I, you're, you're right. We should be more patient. Wait till we see what the final product is. Whether we win or lose this year is going to be uh, a lot more interesting and exciting than the past four. That's, that's the best thing I could say right now is that, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be back. Uh, you know, before it was like a chore watching. Last season was painful to watch. Yes, games. it was. It was horrible. Like I, that that's the, 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 the biggest breath of fresh air uh, around you. the season. I, you know, I'm excited. I, I think we'll have the element of surprise. We talked about that, although about how uh, you know people don't know what Eberflus and Getze are going to do. They might have an idea. Some of the Green Bay playbook might come into uh, play. They know we're going to run the ball. Uh, they know we're going to play you know Colt style defense. Uh, but you know, the, we don't have a lot of uh, blue chip top line talent like some of these other teams, like Los Angeles and Tampa Bay and uh, Buffalo. Kansas City have, but uh, uh, you know it, that that's that's my cause for pessimism. Is uh, the the roster is it improved? Sure, it's improved. Uh, you got long, young, hungry players out there, but uh, the, the lack of uh, these top blue chip talent that puts teams in the playoffs year after year. I, I think we're missing some of that. That might be early. I might be speaking a little too soon and uh, stuff, but. Uh, I'm excited. I, I think Justin Fields is a faster Dak Prescott. I just I don't I don't buy into the fact that he's a bust already. Some people are already uh, uh, calling him a bust. I don't subscribe to that. That's so just a, stupid for anybody to say that. Is you know they really don't see that. They they're just predicting based on. Bears record, which is not a bad prediction, but uh, spoken in true Bears fan fashion, although exactly, exactly. (laughs) Now, I'll tell you one thing that I am hopeful uh, about is that this appears to be one of the best coaching staffs the Bears have assembled in quite a long time. That first year that John Fox came on board when he had Adam Gase calling the plays and uh, as offensive coordinator and the defense coordinator was Vic Fangio and there. Uh, assistant coaches, those guys were all really good that season. You know, Adam Gase got a lot out of Jay Cutler that season and helped him become a better leader than he had ever become in his career. And uh, and that team, you know, really, those players got some really good coaching. I'm 
I'm hopeful that the same thing is going to happen this year is that those coaches can take this room of wide receivers and tight ends and really make the most out of their talents, uh, really help Pringle and St. Brown to uh, veterans who have not reached the pinnacle of their promise, uh, really help them get there and really help make Valus Jones a, a stupendous you know, Tariq Cohen rookie year type player where he's just explosive play after explosive play. Uh, so the coaching staff has a lot to do with what can potentially happen with this team. And I'm hoping that the tight ends coach really gets the most out of Jesper Horstead because he's a talent who I truly believe in. And I will be shocked if he gets his opportunity this year and he doesn't deliver big play after big play. Is uh, any of those guys in seven through twelve there, uh, Jordan, gonna gonna do anything? <laughs> well, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you what. The, the, I I'm a fanboy of Henry Litwin. I, I told <laughs> Uncle to throw up the the highlight clip because some of what he did at the D two level was just freaky tape. Cyrus Holder had some good tape. As I and I want to be very clear, these were not guys. I was I can't call any of them gems that I was high on that fell down. I wasn't aware of Cyrus Holder, but I've since watched some of his Duquesne film, and he looks explosive. He's what I like about Holder is he's that big prototype archetype that we've talked about, that outside perimeter receiver um, that's kind of like a tower that, hey, let me throw the ball up to you, and can you attack the catch point and win at the catch point? And I think that's what excites me about him. And then Chase Allen, like we've talked about, has good college tape, um, a player that I certainly think could maybe unseat like a Ryan Griffin or James O'Shaughnessy um, if he came in and had a killer camp. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are the kind of the guys that stick out to me. These, uh, again, these coaches, I can't wait to hear uh, some of the teachers uh, talk to the media. I hope they become available quickly. Um, I like everything that I'm seeing out of Hallisaw. It, it gives me promise. I actually, during the early part and the middle part of last season, I chose to be a pessimist because I had seen enough. I, I thought to myself, this rebuild next season, because I know they're not going to bring these guys back. I know it's going to take a long time. The, the fact that we missed on Trubisky uh, really hurt me. I never liked Trubisky coming out of college, but I knew that I had to root for him because if he didn't succeed, you know, it was going to be such a long, arduous process to get back to the top, to get back to a, a playoff contender. That's what happened. And But now, after listening to these young players and listening to the coaching staff and listening to general manager and listening to uh, the coordinators – I love the process. I love these individuals. And now today I hold hope. You know, what's the line in Shawshank Redemption? Hope is a good thing, man. <laughs> That's well, what I got going tonight. And, I mean, I'm not blowing smoke, although I, 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 I'm about to turn 30 here, so I'm not a spring chicken. But, I mean, if, if you're an older fan, I, I tend to think that you should have hope. And I, I wasn't a total – got to be honest, I wasn't like some – huge person rooting for Eberflus because it's just a rehash of history. But I try my best to work in certainties and looking back at history. And if there's one thing that I feel certain about with this team, this regime, this this new era is that it was very clear that George McCaskey and Ted Phillips were like, how do we just go back to the good days? Yeah. The days like we were somewhat reputable and people didn't give a shit. And, oh, it was lovey. Okay, well, like, who's out there? And it was like, well, we'll go find Rod Marinelli's offshoot protege and we'll go hire Matt Eberflus. I know that they got polls first and poll says that he, he specifically selected Eberflus. I don't care how they got there. It's just that 
you totally got the old regime when things were good, when they were consistently competitive. And it's for that reason why I think you have, you hear me having such a positive outlook and tone towards the team, even in 2022, because I just tend to look at the situation and say, there wasn't a time when Lovey's teams weren't at least competitive and scrappy and fighting. And it was literally every game that you were playing the bears, pack a hard hat, pack a lunch. You're going to be in for it today. Yep. And I think that's what I'm hoping and praying for. Jordan, you don't like this guy? <laughs> no, I don't like fucking guy. What? Well, it's, so funny. it's so funny. You were talking earlier about him. Like, we, we brought him in because we had to have offense. That, right. is, that is the exact Matt Nacky thing. Yeah. Yep. We did like, the same thing. We had this old defensive guy in John Fox. Damn yep. it. We, we had an old defensive guy in Lobby. Line. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even when the Bears were faced with someone telling them who the coach, the right coach was, they did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, uh, they asked Rod Marinelli who they should hire, and he said Bruce Arians. Yeah. And they fucking did. It's like, nope, we're going to hire a math professor. They had Chris Ballard in the building. Chris is like, Chris Ballard in the right. building, too. I just want, I want to get rid of Cutler. They brought in two weirdos. That's right. Phil Emery and Mark Tressman were two weirdos. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's unfortunate, you know, the, the narrative that the Chicago Bears don't spend money has been wrong. But in that case, when uh, they told Ballard, there's no way we're getting rid of Cutler, and it was obviously because of the money, they would have had to eat about $40 million or something like that. That was about the money. And they should have listened to Chris. They should have given him the job. And we would be much further, uh, much closer to a Super Bowl than we are today. Uh, sad but true. Robbie, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> how can you go from Lovey Smith to that fucking loser? <laughs> there you go, Robbie. And I got to tell you, you're not going to find a bigger Lovey Smith fan than me. But oh, really? even I have to admit, and I, I, be honest here, I cried massive tears when Lovey Smith was fired because that is a guy that. I mean, for my during my formative years, mm-hmm. I understood the Bears to be that competitive brand of football that you're not going to win every game, but at least I knew that it was going to be competitive. And the other team was scared to get off the bus going, holy shit, we got to play those guys. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that, I mean, I, even I can understand as sad as I was, it's the Andy Reid in Philadelphia thing. Like at a certain point, we've ran our course. We just can't get over the hump here. We've got to move on. Mm-hmm. And so I even understand in hindsight that, it was probably the right move to move on from Lovey, but exactly as I think Ravi was saying, to move on to this Canadian Football League offensive genius, like it's just, and this is what I was saying earlier in the chat before I came on, is the Bears are run like a small-time business, even though they're, even though they're a multi-billion-dollar franchise. Uh, John Buffon says it all the time on this network. He says they run the organization like it's a diner, like a family yeah. diner. <laughs> And it gets them into a lot of trouble because they end up hiring their friends and trying to make sure everybody's pleased and happy. And unfortunately, the NFL is a cutthroat business and it requires a lot of cold, hard, crude moves. Yeah. And the Bears haven't shown a propensity to do that over the years. We have to hope that uh, they get the stadium built in Arlington Heights and it's, you know, this billion dollar, you know, uh, complex with a casino and, you know, four star restaurants and fan experience and a retractable dome and then they sell the team because it's at its peak value i hear you we get in a winning a winning team of of ownership that's committed to winning 
Yeah. I hear you. I just have to tell you that makes me sad as a California native who travels to Chicago. I'm, I'm sure it'll be wonderful, and I know it's what's best for the team. But there is a beautiful thing about flying to Chicago and staying downtown and having all the entertainment there and being able to just walk to Soldier Field. And I don't feel like a visitor will get that same experience. You're absolutely right. And that's and I get it. It's best for the home crowd for the people. Could we throw in some hookers in our tonight? <laughs> I might, be able, I might be able to help you with that. <laughs> you know, I'd make it a little bit better. It's uh, it'll be fine, but yeah, it's just, no, Jordan, you're absolutely right. That the experience of of attending a game in downtown Chicago, like I would imagine, it is for any stadium, baseball, football, whatever, that houses its stadium. I'll just say we're gonna have hookers. We're gonna have hookers. <laughs> um, you know, any stadium that is surrounded by the skyscrapers, and so you get that experience of the city and the stadium. It's, it's tremendous. Unfortunately, uh, the Chicago Park District has not upheld their end of the bargain. They have um, treated Soldier Field as a stepchild. They, yeah. they really have not partnered well with the Chicago Bears organization and said, hey, we've got an idea, an idea to make it e easier to get in and out of the stadium. Hey, we got an idea yeah. of increasing concession sales for you guys. Hey, we've got an idea. They haven't been that way. And so it, it, when you're not a true partner in a business relationship between stadium and football team, it's, it's going to be a painful divorce and it's going to be, you know, the, 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 the city has to hope that they bring in a USFL uh, uh, football team here and give them soldier field and let soldier yeah. field hold their concerts and stuff. It'll still be great from that standpoint. And if the stadium is in Arlington Heights, the drive from downtown Chicago or from O'Hare Airport to the stadium is going to be much faster for you. Uh, and there are going to be some really nice hotels and gambling available if you're into that and good restaurants in the Arlington Heights area and surrounding suburbs. It'll still have some appeal, but it won't be quite like being in downtown Chicago. Well, I'll tell you, if we host a Super Bowl or a NCAA championship, you'll forget about all that, man, because – Got yes, that. the Super Bowl uh, in Chicago. Would man, I, I've been waiting to hear that. Or, well, I mean, that you're spot on, too. It's like that's why even I have to admit it's what's best for the team. There's no doubt about it, and that's yeah. why I don't know anybody that thinks it's staying in downtown Chicago is mistaken. Just because the reality is there's just too many pros and benefits to moving it to Arlington Heights. You already have the smallest stadium in the league. You don't feel well. You don't make any profits beyond you know whatever sold and whatever their cut is, but they hold no ownership in Soldier mm -hmm. Field. Right. There's just not enough of a reason and an incentive to stay put. And so as soon as they can kind of duck out of that contract, it just makes sense. Yep. So I'm telling you, you know, uh, my wife spoke with somebody who was upset that Arlington Park racetrack had been closed because he said every summer. I would go to the racetrack and I would gamble on, on on races, those that were being held at the racetrack at the Arlington Park racetrack and also races that were being held uh, across the country because there was a sports book there. Yeah. And uh, he was upset because this past weekend at the Kentucky Derby, he said, I would always bet on the favorite and I would always throw a few bucks on the long shot, the 80 to one long shot that he would have cashed in big if he would have had that sports book open at Arlington Park racetrack uh, this this uh, this past weekend if they were open for business. And I think that's going to be one of the things 
I, I bet you that that's one of the things that the Bears are eyeing is the ability to now move into a suburb where they've allowed uh, – off-track betting and 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 betting, uh, getting a betting license for the stadium will be much easier than it is in downtown Chicago, and that's you know betting is where the game is. You know we're going to be watching football games in the near future where the stats on betting are going to eclipse the stats on rushing yards and passing stats and and, and all the other normal stats we would watch during a football game. It's going to be more on, okay, what's bet on this play here. <laughs> Point yeah. to bet. We'll get, we'll get you uh, whatever. Uh, so it's, it's to me, because I'm an old traditionalist in some respects, uh, that makes me a little sad is that there's going to be too much of an onus on, on the betting aspects of the game. But that's where the game is going. That's where the money is at. And you can't blame business people for, for following that, that, that the path of money. Yeah, Mo was asking, did, didn't they threaten to move to Indianapolis before they The Gary the Bears. That long, long ago that happened. Yeah, the Gary long, Bears. Yeah. That's right. They've threatened many, many, many times, but I think this time they're serious. I think that was a big reason why you saw Virginia McCaskey at some of these uh, uh, unbelievable stadiums like in Los Angeles for game one and um, some of the other ones that they they, they visited was because they were trying to convince uh, Virginia McCaskey who has always been, I want to stay in Chicago. I want to stay in downtown. That's what uh, uh, my dad wanted, I, 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 but they were trying to convince her this is the right move. You know, this is for your grandchildren. <laughs> this is to keep them wealthy. And uh, they probably got the okay from her, which is why they're pursuing this. Well, and M- Mayor Lori Lightfoot is clearly, I, I don't, I'm not in her brain, but I think she's clearly blowing smoke. Doing there, whatever there isn't a said. brain up there. Yeah. yeah. Like, tried, tried to keep the heat off of her back. Like, no, we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. It's like. No, I, if I was Mayor Lightfoot, I would be planning for a USFL team and, and other revenue sources than the Chicago Bears. Um, if, if you were Mayor Lightfoot, you'd return to your home planet and leave us all better off. <laughs> oh, that's mean. <laughs> Oh. All right, guys, it is time for us to pull the plug. I'd like to go around the table and have each of you uh, plug what you're doing, where they can, people can find you, where they can interact with you. That's the most important thing is because the bar room is, of course, about interaction. And so, uh, uh, Jordan, we'll start with you, brother. Absolutely. Well, you can find me full time now as a regular on Barroom Network, hopping in between different shows, but primarily staying steady on the Barfly Tailgate show Sunday mornings, 7 a.m. in the offseason West Coast time, Best Coast time. Um, and then ultimately moving back to six in the morning during the season, kind of as a pregame show. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter, Jordan T. Silvera, posting different cut ups of film and different different takes with opinions and substantiation. I promise if you're hearing me have an opinion, I, I have a reason for it. Um, and yeah, just kind of doing, hanging out with different bears communities and fans. And I am an open book. If you have any questions, want to talk bears or anything alike in football, just hit me up. Thanks. Love them or hate them. Jordan Silveria. He's a part of the bar room and he's going to, his role is going to expand as much as he wants to do here at the bar room. I'm going to give him the license to do it. Cause I really enjoy your work, Jordan. Thanks very much. Thank you. Alden. Speaking of somebody who I enjoy very much Tooch, tell us what you're up to, brother. Get, getting my ass kicked for the Lori Lightfoot jokes. <laughs> Come on. That was, that was below the alien belt. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I should have I should say aliens are about to land on that massive forehead. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Come on. All right. Uh, I have been, uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at, at I'm over here, at 
John Santucci VIP, where I give away a free play every day, which unfortunately lost today because the Dallas Mavericks owned the first half, but the Phoenix Suns won the whole game. Oh, really? Oh, so, wow. uh, Yeah, it was an ass-kicking on either side by the home teams because, I mean, I think both teams finished uh, around in the 80s. The, the, the visitors finished in the 80s. So the Mavericks lost 80 to 110 in Phoenix, and the Sixers lost 85 to 120 in Miami. Uh, so, uh, yeah, home team's back on track, and these are game fives. Uh, and I, I had full game. I, I played first quarter, first half, full game for Phoenix, and first quarter for Miami because that was 7 0 first quarter against Philadelphia, the Heat. That hit. They won first quarter 31 to 19 uh dallas owned the first half though and then they only scored 34 points in the second half so phoenix end up covering uh six and a half points on that but i've been doing a, a weekend pass all my picks for 25 bucks for the past three weekends i'm 65 41 and five Ooh, nice so 24 games over 500 so killing it Killing it with my weekend pass. I, I can't focus on doing – doing. I don't know how Anthony does it, but uh, seven days a week is really freaking tough giving out picks and stuff. I find that, like, focusing on three days over the weekend when, you know, uh, there's a lot of games on uh, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday over the weekend. People are watching sports. Uh, you know, it's just uh, – it's, uh, it's a little easier to focus on three days. <laughs> No man, I gotta, I gotta agree with no man. No man, he is salty tonight, man. <laughs> I gotta tell you, one day Tucci will pull me in, but I am about as risk averse as you'll find. And the yep. idea of betting money on sports scares the shit out of me. But one day, I know I we can tell that that uh, the the picture of you in the suit and your avatar. It's like you look very risk averse. I uh, yeah yeah I'm uh, <laughs> I don't know I'm I I live in California where everything is overpriced and I don't make a ton of money working for a nonprofit so. I tend to try to live as modestly as I can. Yeah, I hear you, man. Right. All right, Tooch, uh, again, yeah. that's at John Santucci, VIP. Anything else you want to add, Tooch? Uh, I did see The Man Who Fell to Earth, Episode 3, and that was the best episode so far. Oh. John, Rob Delaney, character is awesome. Yes. So, but yeah, if, uh, if you like science fiction, head over to Showtime and yeah. watch The Man Who Fell to Earth. Episode three dropped on Sunday, and it is fantastic. Yeah, it was great. If you if you've seen it and have not seen the and have if you've seen the first two episodes and you thought eh, you know, I don't know if I should get, watch episode three and then decide because in my mind and, and Tucci is agreeing, outstanding episode. My wife and I were floored by it. Really good acting and good storylines. Yep. All right, everybody, uh, tomorrow's programming looks like this at 2 p.m. Central. We've got Bardon Hockey Talk. The guys are going to talk about everything that's happening in the NHL playoffs. And tonight, the uh, NHL draft lottery was held, and the Chicago Blackhawks did not get uh, one of the top two slots, which means they won't have a first-round draft pick in this upcoming season. So the guys will talk about that. And look a little bit towards the 2023 season because there's a player coming out in the 2023 season uh, that if the Blackhawks can get their hands on, everything turns rosy. So they'll be talking about that and, again, all the other NHL playoff action. And then so at, We didn't get a lottery pick or the Blackhawks? No, because they traded it last year for uh, Seth Jones to the Columbus Blue Jackets. It was 
protected for the first two picks. And when they did the lottery and all of a sudden it came out number six, that belonged to Columbus. So that's sad, but true. Damn. And the, the Blackhawks were, were not that good this season. That is right. They were not. Vin, Vinny will tell you, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, so our broadcast day starts there and ends with Science Fiction at 9 p.m. And there's a show in between, which I'm drawing a, a complete memory <laughs> fart i don't remember what the show is in between but i'll be there behind the scenes trust me we have three shows tomorrow and then uh the draft uh excuse me the uh nfl schedule release show on thursday so that's our programming for now chris gonzalez says the dirty thanks gonzo for dropping in and for all of us here at the bar room for jordan for uh tooch and of course for dan aguire this has been Bear your soul, bear their souls, and we will see you next week. Take care, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomsi. Bear down. Bear down.